Hey guys, welcome to Bacon Broadcast, episode number 360. I'm Chris. I'm John. And I'm Paul. And we're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first being The Week in Geek, bringing you the top geek stories for the past week. Next is the list, the comic books that we are looking forward to coming out January 3rd, 2018. I was looking forward to how you were going to say it, and I was not let down at all. <laughs> what? That's that was... No, because that's how he's going to have to say it every week for the rest of the year. <laughs> 18. 18. Just... And then we follow that up with our weekly rotating main topic. And this week, we're taking a look back at some of the comic books that came out in December 2017. Because <laughs> we can only do our annual look back after we look back at some of the comic books. Because, I mean, who knows? There might have been something here that, you know, bears note Yeah. For, uh, for the yearly look back. And if we talk about it there first, they'll be like, why? You guys haven't even talked about that book. Why am I just hearing about this now? That's not going to happen, but... I feel like I need to uh, finish reading Mr. Miracle before the end of the year. Yeah, back. You, sh- you, you should probably keep yeah. up on that, because I feel like we'll be talking about that. I feel like that's the it, book. It, yeah, or, it's it's going to be the book in the artist, or the uh, writer, to look forward yeah. to in 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul, you need to finish mm-hmm. reading that. And while you're doing that, John, you and I should like finish our beers. Uh Actually, this is a beer that I won't be finishing. Uh, I set it over to the side, um, and I'm drinking Jack's Abbey's Bourbon Barrel Aged Sibling Maker. This is a barley wine, 50% aged in brandy, 50% aged in bourbon, and then blended together. And it's it tastes like flat, thin cherry Coke. It's like it's not um. It's not awful to drink. It just tastes like flat Coke. And who wants to drink that? I know I don't. I was trying to think if maybe I would, but I can't. Th- I can't think of a situation where I'd be like, "Yeah, that that sounds good and refreshing." Uh, I just took a couple more sips of it um, right before we reviewed it because I've been drinking my other beer of the night, and it's just like, yeah, no, there's like, it's not offensive to drink. It just isn't appealing. Like, if I had nothing else to drink, I would finish and drink this. But for, you know, a drink in a 12.6%, I just don't want, like, a syrupy, flat soda. I, uh, little backstory heading into this, because we're recording this after the New Year, so we've already had New Year's Day and then Christmas, uh, so we haven't recorded in a little bit. But as a Christmas treat for myself, because I was going to be off all day from both my jobs, I was, I was going to celebrate... So I went to the beer store and I was like, I'm going to get some great Christmas beers to drink all day Christmas Day. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, the beer store I go to was sold out of like every single Christmas beer imaginable. So I went to some old standbys. I went to their bomber bottle section. I got a bottle of the Anderson Valley, uh, the Bourbon Barrel Stout. I got a bottle of the Pitchy Jeek Boot Barrel Ale, which is their pumpkin beer aged in uh, bourbon barrels. And then I also picked up something from the brewery. It was their, oh gosh, I'm blanking on it. I was like, it's gone. It's out of my mind. doesn't matter because I didn't like it. Uh, it was their, <laughs> no, but it was their stout that was brewed with chocolate and mint. Ooh. And I thought like, oh, you know, that could be good because the last time I had a chocolate mint beer was the Southern Tier Thick Mint. And that was phenomenal. That was so good. 
I've learned now I need to stay away from beers with hot peppers in them and with mint in it because those are such touchy ingredients that I feel like a lot of breweries can't handle it. Uh, I, but my whole my whole point of the story was to piggyback off you, John. I didn't have anything else to drink, so I did drink all that Anderson Valley and the Pinchy Jeek. But they're they weren't good. They're basically watered down versions of what they used to be. And it used to be a beer that was constantly available. It was at a great price point, and it was a great standby beer. And now I was just like, I spent ten bucks for this bottle that I could have just spent that ten bucks on a six pack of like Lagunita sucks or anything else that I would have enjoyed more. Oh yeah, I mean any this uh, anything out there, um, enjoy those. And I, but the beer I'm drinking now that I'm enjoying. <laughs> Uh, long story. It's been a while since we've recorded. I gotta get all this out. Uh, is from Florida's Funky Buddha Brewery, and this is their "I'm So Excited, I'm So Scared" Imperial Coffee Stout. And this is an Imperial Stout with coffee and vanilla. And on the label for it, they have a drawing of Jesse Spano from Saved by the Bell holding a bottle of pills, riding on the back of a tiger, <laughs> a unicorn horn. That sounds. Um, that sounds great. And of course, this. This beer is a reference to the episode of Saved by the Bell where Jesse gets addicted to caffeine pills, quote unquote, uh, just like study for tests. Have you guys been watching uh, Zach Morris's Trash? It's like a, I think no, it's like what is this? It's a college humor. I believe it's college humor. Uh, you can watch him like on YouTube. Uh, Hulu has like all of them up on uh, Hulu. But it like it starts off like. Zach Morris is trash, and then it go. A guy just goes through and just shows in every episode how big of a piece of shit uh, Zach Morris is. It's uh, sounds pretty good. It's, it's really fun to watch, and you're like, oh man, is awful. Everything about this is awful. Um, like, Saved yeah. by the Bell was on uh, one of the streaming services for a little while, and Kate was watching them from the very beginning and i forgot like that show starts in like elementary school uh yeah and it's more it's supposed to be more about the teacher yeah good morning miss bliss was uh the original name for it and that's why in the beginning of the show they would always say good morning miss bliss yeah it was it was bad <laughs> it just but back to my beer because oh, yeah. you know, i want to talk about stuff more um when i first started drinking this i was like yeah you know it's not bad it's it's a stout with coffee and vanilla i now poured out the rest of the bomber because we did a lot of pre-show chit chat. Um, I'm I'm really digging this one. I think I'm going to bump up my rating on it because I originally gave it a three point five, but yeah, sitting on sitting on like a goblet and a half of this, like I'm I'm really enjoying it. You're ready to not bump because it up. I'm drunk, but because it's that's good. It's a ten percent ABV because you're getting there. A half a half a point Honestly, bump, I'm... a quarter point bump. Uh, what, kind of, what kind of bump? I would say a quarter point bump. I would take this up to a three seven five. Oh, like if I saw it somewhere else, like I would probably drink it if there was nothing else on the on the tablets I wanted. But like coffee stouts with chocolate and or vanilla aren't in short supply, so there's probably something I would be more excited to try than mm-hmm. go back to this. But no, it, it's a it's a solid beer. I I'm really enjoying everything I've ever had from Funky Buddha. Paul. Oh, I, I'm. Uh, you're you're allowed to speak now. <laughs> right. 
So, uh, unfortunately, there's a blizzard here in Buffalo, so uh, I'm not actually in the room with John. A blizzard of football teams getting into the playoffs. <laughs> I know! It's the first time in 17 years. I was on the phone with my dad uh, the whole time it was happening, and Kate was getting really annoyed with me because it was New Year's Eve. Uh, <laughs> she's like, I thought we were spending the day together. I'm like, yeah, but I kind of called my dad about this. First time in 17 years. Uh, so anyways, uh, there's, since I'm not in the room with John, I'm drinking a beer I know he didn't want to drink with me, uh, that I've been holding on to for over a year. And hey, uh, why not, uh, crack open founders, Lizard of Cause? We've had it on, well, Chris, you've had it on the show before. I've had it on the show, I think, twice, because I had it when, um, I was first able to get it, and then I had it on the episode that I blacked out on, like, a month and a half later. And uh, John crapped all over it the, the both times that you had it on the show. So I'm like, you know what, though? I really like blueberry. And, you know, a blueberry beer made by Founders sounds delicious. And I, I'm actually really enjoying this. I think it's a, it's a solid beer. It's been over a year. It still has a ton of blueberry flavor. Uh, I don't get much chocolate or vanilla. Maybe a little bit of, uh, like, a chocolate malt aftertaste. And it's um, really smooth. It's... I don't taste any kind of alcohol on it at all. It's almost like drinking a flat blueberry soda. That's and that's just delicious. I don't know who wouldn't want to drink a flat soda. Yeah, it's it's not a bad beer. I just I was <clears throat> let down by it because everything on paper sounded great for it. Uh, uh chocolate blueberry aged in like bourbon beer. I was like, yes, yeah, sign me up. The, the thing about the beer is like um, when it's really cold, you get all the blueberry. And when it warms up, you get all the chocolate. Like there is no happy medium that I found drinking that beer fresh. And so when you're drinking it, you're drinking it warm. It's not delivering the blueberry. And when you're drinking it cold, it's not delivering chocolate. And I think that's where I said, you know, don't think it's worth the price point because you're not getting a well-balanced beer. You're not getting all those flavors at once. Uh, I mean, you think back to well, weeks ago, um, Paul, when you and I had the uh, other half stout. I mean, that beer delivered on those flavors that, it, that were in there. Yeah. They were all well-balanced. They were all mm -hmm. present and accounted for. And I think that's where I am a little bit of a naysayer with Lizard of Cause. I don't think I ever said it was a bad beer. It just doesn't – it's not balanced out. It doesn't deliver those those flavors all in unison. Yeah, and that you want the melding of those flavors. Mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's never had it. It's, I, but you know what? I wouldn't, if they came out with Lizard of Kaz, The Return, or they did like another version of it, just called like The Liz or something, what? I would try it. Like if they, if they revamped the recipe and they came back, like tried to balance out those flavors a little bit more. Yeah, sign me up. I mean, Founders is definitely a brewery that I love and believe in, and I, I would give them the benefit of the doubt since this was the first time they tried brewing it. Chris, the uh, title of the beer, or the name of the beer, is going to bite you because it's so close. It's Return to Cause. Oh, I, I don't know why I didn't think of that. Come on. I, I was surprised. Yeah. I'm like, he's going to get there. You'll get I, it. And then he didn't. I'm like, as soon as I got to the Liz, I was just like, man, that beer would just be so urban and awesome. And I, I got lost in it. And oh, the Liz. Find a, you can yeah, go the with Liz. the Liz. It's yeah, like the yeah. Wiz. Yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're doing. Yeah, see? I would be um, I would be underwhelmed if they released this part of their barrel-aged release series that they're doing every couple months. 
Um, I wasn't too happy with the fact that they, this year, it's the 2017 one, when, I mean, the half of them were beers we already had and weren't clamoring for. You know, uh, if they were to do Project Pam, I would be happy. The black, uh, the black oh, yeah. IPA aged in maple bourbon barrels. But was great. Wizard of Cause, Doom, like, weren't. Doom, Doom was really good. Doom was good. Doom was, was fun. I, was I would good, love to see Doom come back. Well, you did. You got it this year. It's not, I mean, it's not going to come back again. The barrel age release, and maybe in a couple of years, they'll tie those in. You're getting double trouble aged in bourbon barrels this year. Yes, but aren't you happy that uh, uh, Backwoods Bastard and also Breakfast Out are going to both be year round. year round now? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I had a Breakfast Out recently because it, it was available, and I forgot how great that was because it's not something I would ever pick up because I would always just go for the KBS if I saw it available because, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I want that more, but... The breakfast house is just amazingly well rounded. Uh, it delivers those flavors. It's it's it delivers the the chocolate, the coffee, all of those things, and it's so easily drinkable for the scent. It's like uh, what nine 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 or ten percent. Yeah. But yeah, we have big boy. Um, we have, we got big boys, and uh, we have a small amount of news. Um, more just uh, talking about. How great Star Wars is, right, Paul? Yeah, uh, box office. Which Paul, you finally saw it. Yes, I did, and that was one of the reasons I'm like, guys, even if we can't record, let's just talk. Let's talk about Star yeah. Wars. Because <laughs> I would, I was totally willing to not record, but just talk Star Wars with well, you guys. And a little behind the scenes stuff. Last time we recorded, Star Wars had just come out. John and I saw it. Paul hadn't because he was waiting to go see it with his dad. So anytime we would take a pause in the episode. <laughs> Paul would, Paul Paul would, would run, run to the away, bathroom. Like, John and I would talk about Star Wars for that, like, five minutes. And I'd be like, okay, 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 okay. He's back. All right. Anyways. <laughs> um, but uh, did we actually say our thoughts on the show? No. Uh, no, no. no we, kept, we kept it to when Paul was here. So, okay. oh, why don't well, you go uh, over Paul, your box yeah. office mojos, and then yeah. we'll talk about our opinions a bit for about the movie. So it, uh, it looks like to Star Wars, well, it, you know, now that the year's over, the last, uh, the last Jedi is the highest grossing movie released in, uh, 2017. It's, uh, top 17. movie of the year. You gotta yeah, say it like that. 2000. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right. In 2017. Which, uh, if we it's look at the top. Right. <laughs> I, I don't do things well. Uh, we know this. If you look at the, the top. Episode title. Right there, by the way. <laughs> I, I wrote down, what kind of bump? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one too. <laughs> If you look at uh, the top ten releases for domestic roasts on Box Office Mojo right now, uh, it's dominated by nerd culture. You have The Last Jedi, then Disney Nerds with Beauty and the Beast, then Wonder Woman, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, It, Thor Ragnarok, then you got the family movie Despicable Me 3, Logan, and Justice League. So those are your top ten right there That's for the crazy. year. Uh, yeah, and there's some article out. I didn't I didn't read it, but like um, Jodie Foster came out to say that comic, I saw comic that. book movies are are ruining um, 
mainstream cinema movies and whatever. But I the- would agree with that, except they it's not the same superhero movie. Like Marvel's the, the problem with Justice League was it was a superhero movie and that was kind of it. Where Thor Ragnarok is an action buddy eighties throwback comedy. Yeah. Just a superhero movie, and then you had uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming, which is a coming-of-age. You know, it, it, that was probably the most baseline superhero movie other than Justice League. But you know, the Captain Americas have all been like uh, suspense thrillers. Well, even like uh, well, you know, Logan is that's of a superhero. You know, mm-hmm. the, the last hurrah of a, of a cowboy. Yeah, it's a la- yeah, it's a cowboy. It's it is the cowboy movie of a guy being like, no, I retired. I don't do the rodeo anymore. I'm an old ranch hand. I gave up that game. And he comes out of retirement. Well, I don't know if you saw it too, but uh, James Gunn came out and responded to it. And he was like, he, he was very classy about it for a dude that made Slither. Uh, <laughs> but he was like, no, like I, I disagree with her. Um, yeah. yeah, they're dominating the culture right now, but... It's because like summer movies need to have that spectacle. It needs to have something to get you excited and to get into the theater. But they need to be done well enough that they deliver on it, and not just be like explosion, 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 mm-hmm. not- because that's what brings you in. And when you look at what he's done with Guardians, it has that. Like those movies could have very well gone that route, and we would have been like, oh my god! Like when they said they were making Guardians, we couldn't believe it, and this is why. Like we were right. But no, like Guardians, those movies are fantastic and they're great because they're great movies. But even better when you look at them through the scope of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because they fit in so well, yet they can still somewhat stand on their own. Someone should do a podcast where they just talk about all the Marvel movies. Oh, we should. And when they actually turn the corner and stop just doing superhero movies and start doing... Real movies. Dress, Jurassic Park movies? Okay. I, yeah. That, that oh, was no. my thought for the next one, though. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, I was going to say, like, the DC movies. And starting back with, not do maybe all of the Christopher Reeves ones, but do the first I, I couple of Christopher it, Reeves. For, I, I've thought about this, and this is, like, all great conversation stuff, too, because I, I do think we should spend some time and pay attention to the Marvel stuff. Or, I'm sorry, the DC uh, stuff, but it's hard to go back that far Mm -hmm. and then talk about everything. But I would say maybe from Batman Begins on. I think. Or do you do like, hey, let's talk about all the Superman movies. Let's talk about all the Batman movies. And now, hey, here we are. We can pick up at this point with Batman versus Superman. Like, uh, I think the Christopher Reeve Superman, (laughs) that first one, is such a cornerstone, like, uh, idea of who Superman is in the public mainstream that I think you, if we're going to talk about DC movies, you have to start there. Well, yeah, because even if we weren't talking about that one and we decided to start with Man of Steel, we would still wind up talking about, about yeah Superman I, I, or like Superman Returns. I was going to say we do like Superman 1 and 2 because they're kind of connected in a way because um, mm-hmm. they were shot like what back to back just the director was fired. And then do like maybe the first two, uh, Keaton Batman. Yeah, do Quest for Peace though. Richard Pryor. <laughs> oh, you, you know you would have to at that point. Uh, you don't get to pick and choose. It exists. It's out there. Uh, do the do the Keaton Batman movies, 
and then do the the Nolan reverse talk about uh, Superman Returns. Yeah, but man, Batman and Robin is such a guilty pleasure of mine. I but no, I, that I agree, one. and I think that's why it deserves some respect and some talk. But yeah, I mean, hey, we'll then, talk about that. We'll talk about this later. Let's just later. we just start and we just do them all. Then we start at we do all the Supermans, all the Christopher Reeves. We just do them in order of how they came out. Do we want to do the Richard Donner cut of uh, Superman 2? It's on Blu-ray for like $6. I am adding it to my cart. <laughs> well, then we got, we'll have to watch it all together? Or you, got- uh, you can get it on Prime. You can rent it on Prime for $2.99. Or you can buy it on Prime for $9.99. Chris, you going to do that? I, I, don't wanna, yeah, I, I don't want to do that. I, mean, I, I don't own any of the Superman movies, so I would have to wind up like streaming them or tracking them down somehow, so I don't well, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> screw all the beer I was gonna bring all, you. Anyways, all good talk, all great ideas, but we're, we're... Star, Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah, that's right. So, uh, Star Wars. Do... Ooh, we should, guys, we should do this all for Star Wars too. Uh, Star Wars, all great, uh, doing great in the box office. Uh, what are all? Oh, what are your thoughts? Because you've been wanting to talk about this for weeks now and you keep like just hinting at it like sending little messages you keep messaging us little things and we give you like little snippets back and we can tell it's killing you <laughs> it's not really killing me it's just like every once in a while i'll just be sitting in the car or just like and i'll finally get home after sitting in the car and just thinking about star wars and that's what's i think that's what i've really enjoyed about this movie it's it's uh it sat with me you johnny kind of said that you know you weren't sure how to feel about it but my dad and i i love watching movies with my dad because just the experience of him being in the theater, like no matter how horrible of a movie it is, he's going to walk out of that theater being like, hey, that was fun. You know, <laughs> like he had some popcorn. The screen was huge. The movie was a little loud because he's getting older now. Everything's a little loud for him. But I love him. You know, it's great. And he's just really enjoys it. Like in sitting next to him, like when things are happening, he just like shoulders, you know, sends his elbow my way and. You know, like, like, oh, that was great, wasn't it? <laughs> it's like seeing a movie with John's dad. It's the same thing. <laughs> so much fun. So it's except John's dad, like, elbows you, and then he's like, leave the show. <laughs> <laughs> My dad's so positive about, you know, we watched uh, Crystal Skull together, and we walked out of it, and talking to my dad about it, like. Five minutes out of the theater, my dad had me convinced it was a really fun movie. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much. Cr- it's it's. You just spent that money. You just spent that time. It's good to like feel that way, you know. So after the movie, I was like, no, that was really fun. And I, you know, and I told my dad, I'm like, dad, when they went to uh, that casino planet, I was, I got a little worried. I thought that's where it would lose me. And I'm like, you know what? But they, they still had interesting character moments going. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I not to cut you off. Oh no, but, go ahead. No, that scene's getting a lot because we didn't talk about this too much. Um, that scene gets a lot of hate from people. Because like, oh, it's it's unnecessary. You don't need that. But I think that's a great scene because you get to see more of Rose as a character being like the newbie added into the franchise. Uh, you get some great Finn moments. It's well, fun to see like the other side of the Star Wars universe because so much of what you see is just based on like, hey, here's the war, and now here's here's the other people that right. are being affected by it in one way or another. Here's the em- this is here's the Empire. Here's uh, the rebels. What are the other people doing? Well, the profiteers, the people who are making money selling stuff to both sides, 
they're here gambling and just being shit. No, like it is oh, like spoilers for uh, Last Jedi, by the way. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, check the money. I think everybody's seen it. Not as many people seen it as uh, the uh, Force Awakens, but that's not, not as many people went back to see it again. Yeah, I'm true. still waiting to go see it again. I, I've seen it twice now, so I want to see it again. Uh, but but no, I, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I think this... I don't think it's a perfect movie. It, it's like any Star Wars movie where it has its its faults, but for the most part, I can go into it and I can turn my my mind off and enjoy it. There's no part in this movie that I was watching as like, oh, I, I don't need to see this. I think this was a better movie than Force Awakens. Whenever I'm watching Force Awakens now, as soon as Ray and Finn find Han and Chewie. I'm like, okay, I can get up and go to the bathroom now because I don't need to see them being chased around by like the Rathar yeah. on on Hansing. Like that that scene, that's unnecessary. That totally could get cut out and put on the, the cutting room floor. Same thing with 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 Last Jedi, the um the Bathus suit thing, him walking around and spraying, you know, Bathus juice all over the place, like. I could have done without that because it seemed like it was just being unnecessarily funny. No, talking um, about unnecessarily funny, the your mom joke at the beginning of the very beginning of the movie with the can you hear me? Hello. I see. I'm gonna disagree yes, with I'm both holding of you. With... I think those those moments of lightness amidst the darkness that's coming and happening. It's the moments of brevity that kind of make you just sit back and think, like, no, it's it's Star Wars. It is fun. It is, or it's tone deaf to the rest of the movie. It it walks. It's I'm saying it's walking that. Long. No, I, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna disagree with you that I'm agreeing with you, Chris. To, if you want to look at tone deaf for the rest of the movie, look at anything that happened in the prequels with the Jar. Right. Right, right. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's walking that line, and I agree uh, with you. But it's getting it's it's putting its toe on the line. With some of that stuff. Prequels aside, but those okay, like, those but, aren't movies. Those are, but complete complete sidebar. Um, it is like it does come off as a yo mama joke. Mm-hmm. But in like the Star Wars expanded universe or whatever they're calling it now, right. there is a book about uh, Hux like growing up, and his mom wasn't actually his mom. It was just some uh, his, his dad like hooked up with some random woman. So it, it's it's not meant as like a oh your mama it's literally just like no like everybody fuck knows you. it's fuck you kid like, it's it's a uh, oh what's that champ that I love from soccer <laughs> no 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 the baby's not yours the baby's not yours hey oh what's his name you're asking the wrong people the baby's not yours but but no that's that's what it was. I, I do enjoy the, the hello because it is it is what we've gotten from Cameron before. Who talks yeah, first? Do you talk first? But both of the Star Wars movies we've had now, Force Awakens and Last Jedi, start off with Poe Dameron just being like a smarmy asshole. And in the first one, it doesn't work out for him. And now here we are again in Last Jedi, again not working out for him. And I love those moments because yeah, he is that brash young pilot that's capable, but. So much of Last Jedi is about people learning from their mistakes. And again, spoilers, that's what we learn from Yoda when he's talking to Luke. It's like, 
failure is the thing that you learn the most from. And at the end of this movie, we have everyone progressing from what they were to who they will become because of those missteps and the failures that they they met with. Um, I do I do have to say that whole scene though complete like from then on Hux is a joke character. Like in that movie, every time you see him, he's either playing the straight man or being the joke of the scene. Like when he faces down uh, Kylo Ren and he's got, uh, like, "You killed the, the supreme leader," and he goes to grab his gun and then up, oh, uh, supreme leader's dead. But you're this new supreme leader. All the way up to the final scene on crate where well, that, he's like giving the see, orders. That scene, that scene's more. He sees Kylo Ren down and he's pulling his gun out because he's gonna double tap that bitch. And then as soon as he starts to move, he's like, "Oh yes, what happened here?" Like the dude just wanted to make sure that like the job was done. Mm-hmm. And then like he he just kind of like pussied out. He bitches out. I don't the, think that makes him a, like, a joke. A, I don't think that makes him a joke character. I think that make make him like a little bit more weak-willed than he was originally mm-hmm. could, thought to be. He's not the villain. He's not a he's he's a joke villain. He's, he's not the villain. He's a weasel, and that's mm-hmm. where he's been before. The thing is, is these are like these these are basically the two, like two little brothers who have been competing for Daddy to let them rule the galaxy, and the one had the balls to actually kill him. And he is the mm. bigger brother. He's the tougher one. So the other one is going to go along with it. And yes, it is like when he's getting thrown around by the force or being choked out and everything. Yeah, he is the weasel, but he's going to bide his time and he's going to usurp his other brother because he knows how spoiled he is. They're both spoiled. They're both crappy characters. Yeah, they're both brats. Yeah. I, I, I can no longer take Hux as an actual threat to anybody or anything. Like, he's just... He's just there to be the fall guy at the end. He's the one to like, be the actual villain-villain when or if Kylo Ren turns. See, I don't think they can do that anymore. I, I don't think they, they... I think they could, but not with Kylo Ren. I think at this point, he's just irredeemable. Yeah, they've they've had three different characters say there's no saving him. Ben tried. Or Han Solo tried when he called him Ben. And, you know, we saw how that worked. We saw Luke try. Or then, well, then we saw Ray try. And I was so hoping that would happen. It was... That, that that's was, a cool moment, though, when they're fighting the, the guards. Super, that was... A, that was the scene where I'm like, oh, hey, you remember when everybody would be like, oh, remember, you know, Star Wars is based off of weird samurai movies that nobody ever saw, except for maybe John. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's right. That's what it's based on, right? And you're like, no, shut up. It's Star Wars, not Japanese action <laughs> movies. Come on, shut up. It's Star Wars. And then I'm watching that scene and I'm like, holy shit, it's just Japanese action movies, man. Uh, <laughs> that, that entire scene with like Ray and Kylo Ren in Snoke's throne room, my heart was in my throat because, and again, a lot of people weren't happy with what happened with Snoke. Again, spoilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, people had their thoughts on who he was and what he would be. And this movie did, mm-hmm. I think, a great job of taking your expectations and then just throwing them out the window because, like, no, this is its own thing. Like, this yeah. this movie, it 
it's not doing what you wanted to because if it did what you wanted it to, it would and, make everything smaller. Yeah, and Paul, kind of like you said, like this movie's equal parts like Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back because it, it hits those notes, but it doesn't hit them as much as Force Awakens did for A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Because if they did that again, I'm it, glad to pe- see it. People would be so upset, and they wanted something new, and now we have it. But now they're like, it's, it's not like it should have been. Well, well, I'm glad it hit the notes of Return of the Jedi because that means, like Kylo Ren was saying, we've destroyed everything now. It's just all the old stuff is now destroyed. It's all done, and now we can move forward with a brand new story. Yeah. So Episode Nine is going to be a brand new story. It, because it kind of has to be. People don't remember or realize that back when Empire Strike came out, the fans didn't like it then. It took a while for the fans to turn around and go like, oh no, it was a really good movie. Uh, because it got the next, you got Return of the Jedi, so you actually had more than just the one story for what Star Wars is. Well, I mean, And I think that's what we're getting, another jump of forward for what star wars actually is yeah it's i mean empire i mean hans frozen and carbonite Darth Vader's luke's father luke skywalker has lost a hand the rebellion seems like it's lost like where can this movie go it all ends kind of on a on a, on a downer but this movie mm-hmm. does the same thing as well it, it kind of ends like in a a downer kind of state when you think back about everything that happens and how it ties into this world that's been created since those original trilogies, it all just kind of fit and it works. And it is something to look back on and go like, no, you know what? It, it really is another like kind of like that masterpiece where, you know, new hope was something with something new mm-hmm. force awakens was like, Hey, it's again, like that new hope of, Star Wars coming back, and this is that same kind of feel that you get with with Empire, where hey, no, you don't know where this is going. And half of it is those years of nerds speculating that Ray is Obi Wan's kid, uh, Snoke is really Emperor. And this movie tells you your fan theories don't matter; they don't ex- they don't exist. We're not even gonna mm-hmm. we're not even gonna tell you who Snoke is. And uh, Ray's parents are just drunk crappers. Uh, Dirt farmers. Yeah. Now, now my thoughts on that. That could be true, but does Kylo Ren actually know? Is he just bullshitting to kind of like talk her down so she joins him? All, all interesting points. And if they just came out and were like, oh yeah, like this is your your dad. That's cool, huh? At that point, that would have overshadowed everything else that's happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. Also. Well, you get, it's not only Kylo saying it, it's her admitting it to herself, that they were nobody. But that's, again, it's the dark side. The dark side preys on fear. Her biggest fear is that she doesn't matter. After all these years mm-hmm. of hoping for something more. She has no place in the universe, right. And then by the end of the movie, though, she understands her place, and she's her place is with the Rebellion, and to fight, and to come, to be that light side that matches the dark of Kylo Ren a badass moment with her lifting those rocks. <laughs> Loved it. I, I dug it. Yeah, you know, oh, you we, dug we, it. we, you we can talk bitch. about Star Wars and uh, stuff that happens on Crate more later. Do we have anything else you want to talk about for news? Nope. Uh, I think that was it. Yeah. 
Happy 95th birthday, Stanley. Hey, you're still around. And thank you, Stanley, for everything you've done. And thank you, filmmakers of today who are filming as many of those cameos as they can before your timely yet still unfortunate passing at some point. <laughs> and, thank, and thank you to all those artists and other creators that heap the credit for. So I guess it's the point of 2018. Uh, to always eulogize Stan Lee whenever he's mentioned? (laughs) Eulogize everybody, because you (laughs) never know. I'm just hoping, like, in the next Star Wars movie, like Episode Nine, or even if just in Solo... uh, Oh, in Solo, we gotta learn what the freak those dice are about, right? Like, other than... Because those were never Um, a thing. No, okay. Randomness, because that was something that was just like, oh, what the hell is this? And then it was one of those like BuzzFeed listicle kind of things where it was like, oh, those dice actually appear in one random shot of the Millennium Falcon in the original movie. Sure, so they do. That, no, that, it, it's a thing. Like, they, they have the mm-hmm. screenshot of it, and you can see them, like, hanging there, but, like, they don't focus them on anything because mm-hmm. it's when Han, Chewie, Obi-Wan, and uh, Luke are sitting in the cockpit of the Falcon, and, like, they're literally just there. One of my best friends. Me! Uh, no, actually, Eric. He used to have a little uh, boxing glove that said Italy on it because, you know, he's half Polish, half <laughs> Italian. So he's really he's into being lit. Italian, Italian uh, <laughs> and rock, you know, and he likes the Rocky movies. Oh, of course, so when, he's Italian. So back, this is back, you know, granted, this is like 10, 15 years ago when we first started driving and everything. And he had this thing oh, oh, on the oh, rear view oh, mirror. Oh, oh. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. And years ago you started driving when you were 25. 15. I said 10 to 15. So, okay, so 17, 18. Uh, back when we started driving, uh, he had this thing, and every time he would get into this car, he'd, you know, give it a tap, like a little punch on the punching glove. And, you know, then he would start up the car. If I saw Han, like, reach up ever and touch the dice, like, even once in the movies, I would be like, oh, okay, that's a nice callback that Luke got them off the Millennium Falcon and gave him to Leia. That, that, that's, but no, they're. So it's an of, even better callback because it's something that nobody even knew it existed until they went back to look for it. I, I follow you. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just accept. I, I was like, oh, this will be explained in Solo coming soon. It's the. It was the uh, Samuel L. Jackson of uh, in Iron Man Two <laughs> moment for me in that movie. It's okay. It was short. But I, I kind of expect it to be explained later. Much like how we're going to explain the comic books that we're looking forward to coming out later this week. Paul, right, John? Paul, what are you looking forward to that's coming out January 3rd, 2018? <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to uh, a, a collection of shorts, uh, digital shorts. And this is Bombshells United from DC Comics. Uh, I picked up a couple of these before, and they're a fun, quick series. I do like the uh, bombshell line. I do like the pinup art on it. I, I do say I'm, I kind of feel a little skeezy, but, you know, whatever. I enjoy it. Uh, it might not be the best stories, but they're fun to look at. It's uh, And that's that's basically it. There's nothing else coming out this week that I really wanted to talk about, but you know, check out the Bombshell United line. It's it's fun 1940s pinup yeah, versions uh, of the characters. The, the comicsology one, right? Yeah, 
It's on yeah, comic. So the, they're they're a dollar. They come out like what every other week or every two weeks or something. Mm-hmm. And then United, they're the printed versions, and then these, uh, and then Comixology charges you two ninety nine for those as well. But you can buy them like not for ninety nine cents on Comixology, the digital. All right. Yeah, they're, uh, they're not that bad. Hey, Chris, what are you looking? Yeah. What are you looking forward to? Uh, I'm looking forward to a new number one, and it took me a little bit to pick which one I was going to look forward to because uh, I have one from DC and one from Marvel. But I'm going to go with the Marvel one because uh, you guys pooped all over the DC one, uh, which was Batman and the Signal number one. <laughs> but, <laughs> I did. Not to like, not to like sneak that under the radar, but I don't know. I I like Duke Thomas as a character, and that was kind of one of the questions after his introduction is like, okay, who's who's this dude going to be? He was one of like the quote unquote Robins uh, when they were doing like the We Are Robins book. Uh, he's been training with Batman. He's got a costume, but he didn't have a name. And now, now we know who he is and where he fits into the universe. Like he's going to be like Batman's daytime eyes. Like he's going to be the the Batman operative in the day, which you know is something that we don't have. Like nobody's ever seen Gotham in daylight. You know, unless Bruce Wayne's at some fucking fundraiser for kids that can't read, or or uh, he's doing something during the day of time. Yeah, this matches Malone. Have you seen the? Have you see Batman head. in the daytime? Not, not usually, though, man. You know, I thought that I've been rewatching a lot of uh, the Batman animated series because it's on uh, Hulu. I think a lot of times Batman's running around in the daytime. That's true. But the book I'm looking forward to is from Marvel, and this is Rogue and Gambit, number one. Two of my favorite X-Men come together in their first solo-ish duo book. Um Written by Kelly Thompson, art by Perez, who I don't know his name, but apparently he did the Convergence Batgirl slash spoiler book that came out like four years ago, which I enjoyed. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I like these X Men. I like Kelly, I like Thompson. Kelly Thompson. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Kitty Pride sending Rogue and Gambit together on an undercover mission uh, to find some kidnapped mutants. So hey. Why not? I, I was going to take a shit on this book because it sounds stupid and it. Fuck you! Unnecessary until you said Kelly Thompson writing it. And then I was like, oh, it'll probably be pretty good. Yes, it's, it's going to be good. I mean, even just thinking back to, uh, I mean, Hawkeye, but like, I really dug that A Force book. I still want to go back and like, finish picking it up. I thought she captured the voice of Kate Bishop as uh, Hawkeye perfectly. Yeah. yeah. But what book? Are you most looking forward to, John? Uh, I'm looking forward to Captain America 697. I mentioned on a previous one that I'm looking forward to this because it has Craven the Hunter on the cover with Captain America's head on a on a plaque. And uh, this is uh, Craven the Hunter going after the biggest target he can go after. Spider-Man. Steve Rogers. Uh, and Captain America at this point, he's, uh, he's on the run. He's missing his shield. He's trying to evade Craven long enough to save innocent lives. And uh, this is Mark Wade and Chris Omni, so it's going to be good. I've en- I enjoyed one. I enjoyed two. I haven't read two yet, but I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's Captain America going like he's hitting all those like crappy villains. Like it's just fun. It's just a fun Captain America book. But you know what I think is fun? What do you think's fun? 
dramatic readings. And now, the Magnum Boardcast presents a dramatic reading from Phoenix Resurrection, The Return of Jean Grey, issue number one, page 13, panel four. We have company for our line. And that was a dramatic reading from Phoenix Resurrection, The Return of Jean Grey. I'm so glad he took so long to do that because I was like, oh crap. <laughs> and I, like, I had to go upload it and look at it again. That's uh, a long title. A long title. And it's been a long time since uh, we had our first beer. So, what are you guys drinking for your second beer? If you're drinking a second beer, which I know Paul is not. I'm on my fourth glass of this Lizard of Cause. <laughs> so, what's your second beer, bud? I need to go get it. So <laughs> no, I, I, it's in the other room. So this will be our first pseudo pause. So everyone just leave it recording. Well, and I just talk about uh, my beer. Will you go get your beer? No, because I want to hear you talk about your beer. Okay. I want to hear what you have to say, John. Don't preclude me from the podcast. Well, my beer is actually a barley wine, and this is coming to us from Lagunitas, and this is their old gnarly wine, the 2017 version of it. Uh. I was walking through my beer store today to pick up stuff for the show. I saw this on the shelf, and then when I looked down at the price, it was $5.50. So I was like, yep, definitely grabbing that. I thought about getting two, but I was like, eh, let me see what else they have. I should have gone back to pick up another one. Um, hopefully they still have it, because I'm going to go back maybe Thursday to get more. But yeah, Lagunitas, great brewery, great price point, great beer. Uh, I... I can't complain about this. I haven't had a barley wine in a while, so I don't want to say I forgot what to look forward to when I took a sip of this. But as soon as I took a drink, I just got that nice, like, grainy sweetness from the barley on this. And then, like, after I put it down and I got ready to check into it on a tap, my tongue was dried out, and I was like, I, I need to take another sip. And it was at that point, I was like, yes, I do need to take another sip, because... My mouth's dry, and this is delicious. I, I'm really digging this right now. The, the, I know. Go ahead. The gnarly wine's always been a favorite of mine from Lagunitas, which is hard to say because I do enjoy just about all of their beers. Um, hit or misses here or there, but mostly hit. And yeah, the gnarly wine for coming in at five bucks the same thing as like the hairy eyeball or the, the black IPA um, daytime and the nighttime beers like they're always just good drinking beers for 10.6% ABV yeah. especially that with the gnarly one uh, yeah I mean you can't go wrong you can't go wrong with these beers great price and a great product for the price yeah even like the the hop stupid that's always a great price point too. Usually around six bucks, and you you can't go wrong with yeah, it. Yeah, it went from like since we've been drinking it, like I think four dollars, and then it was like four fifty, then it was four ninety nine, five fifty, and now it's five ninety nine. I sell a bomber bottle of it, um, and I'm still like oh, that's a great price, but I have six packs of hot stupid now for eleven ninety. And, you know, regular 12-ounce bottles, you can't go wrong with that either. Yeah, not bad. 
I, I just wish I could get more barley wines down here. It's not something that exists. And if I could keep making wishes, I would say, man, founders, hey, bring back bolt cutter. I'd love for bolt, bolt cutter to come back. Um, like barley wines across the board are down. You know, it's not a style that people are clamoring for. Uh, they just need to make, like, East Coast juicy Juice barley wine, barley wine, and people be all about it. I guess. Oh, they'd be awful. Well, John, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a stovepipe can, which is a one point one pint and uh, three point two fluid ounces can, big old can here of Enfiti from Oscar Blues, aged in bourbon barrels. This is twelve point nine percent, and on the bottom it says canned on. 11, 10, 17. And then it says, bigger than the boogeyman. Uh, what I think is insane is the fact that barrel aging 1050 makes it smoother than normal 1050. <laughs> That's weird. Uh, it is a sipper. I've been trying to uh, take my time with this beer. Uh, we've been recording for... Uh, 52 minutes and sometime before that, and I have a quarter of my glass left. I've drank almost all of this. I feel great. It tastes delicious. Um, it's smooth. You get that bourbon. You get that imperial stout. It's just a really, really great beer. And coming in at 11.99 for the the can. Uh, you can't you can't go wrong for it. Can't go wrong with it. It's a great price. Really, really hard to come by. Um, I'm a little happy that I'm not recording with Paul and I'm not splitting this with him, and I got to drink the entire can. Uh, but if you boys do remember, the last time Chris was up, he spent seventeen dollars on this stovepipe can and split it between eight people. Uh, and even then, it was a, a great drinking beer, and I think it was about a year old. So. Uh, it's a, it's a really good beer. Um, if you could find it when it comes out, uh, please purchase it. Because it does not disappoint. Paul, how's that Lizard of Cows going? Oh, it's still delicious. I, I'm still... I don't lose any of the blueberry as it warms up here. I'm, I'm, it's still pretty much the same as I when I started. So maybe the age is... Uh, blueberried it up. Dots, it blueberried it up and maybe... Maybe balanced it out a little. Well, maybe made it the blueberry beer that I've always wanted. And never maybe. deserved. Never deserved. But maybe there were some comic books that we wanted that came out last month in December 2017 with our monthly look back. And we didn't talk about it before the show, but where do we want to start off? Uh, why don't we start off with X-Men Grand Design? All right, Not, John. That was a that was a John baby. So why are you introduce uh, This was a John baby. So this book um, coming from Marvel is uh, uh, with writer and artist Ed um, Score. Score. Pisker. Score. Uh, this tells the beginning story of the X Men. Uh, Grand design is just going through X Men history. Um, the artist kind of captures that old school style. I really like how his art is going. And this is uh, kind of a giant size issue, just literally telling the 
origins of Professor X and the X-Men and Juggernaut in literally just giving you a timeline of the X-Men. What I really like about this is it's the stories you know of the X-Men because you've seen like clips or pictures of it online or references to it in other X-Men books where they spend that like three panels like flashing back to like, oh, here's here's Storm growing up. She's a thief on the streets. It's all of that. But then when you get to the end of the book, there's almost like a little like appendices or like, not a, like a footnotes where it's like, okay, here's all the references. Here's where it came from. If you want to know more, this panel is based off of this issue of Uncanny X-Men. Go check it out. But yet, this is the history of the X-Men right from the very beginning. And it's it's really cool. It's an oversized issue. I don't remember how long it was. Hopefully one of you guys has it open because I'm still trying to get it uh, started up here. Anybody? Uh, it's uh, Anybody? 46. I have 46 pages. Opened. Okay, yeah, 46 pages. And it's all old school, early 1960s X-Men pulp. Mm-hmm. And when I say pulp, it's done in the 1960s style. Professor X has like the really big jagged eyebrows. eyebrows. Like the the pages are all yellow, yellow. and like they that's they differ from page to page too on the yellowness. Mm-hmm. And that's what oh, I didn't notice that. I need to go back. It's one of the things that I enjoyed most about this book, like that it had that like grainy kind of feel like look to it, even though I was reading it on my phone. Yes. Like, and and in the future, guys, like this is, I felt like I was actually in the future when I was reading this book. I'm like, all right, when I was a kid, I never thought I would be doing this. Oh, cra- and I, I completely forgot. Like the book starts off with Uatu, the watcher. Yeah. Saying recorder. Telling the story of the X-Men to recorder, which is basically a combination of Iron Man and like the Decepticon Ravager because he's got like a giant tape deck. But no, wait, this... was it Ravager? No, uh, Soundwave. This... Yeah, Soundwave, thank you. Ravager was his concept player that turned into a Jaguar? Yeah, that would go in his chest. Uh, but yeah, yeah. It, it's basically an Iron Man armor with a, a cassette deck built into him. Uh, telling telling the story of the X-Men. And Ed, Ed uh, Pescor is known for uh, doing art in American Splendor books. And his big call is uh, Hip Hop Family Tree. Um, that's kind of where really where he was known from and it's kind of crazy that he was given this book or allowed to do this book i i don't know if this was like an editorial driven thing where they were like hey you know what we like what you did with hip-hop family tree which was basically the the same idea i haven't read it yet but i've heard good reviews of it where it was him writing and drawing the history of hip hop in America, like where it started and then throughout the years, what it was and what it became. So I don't know if Marvel came to him and was like, yo, you want to do this for X-Men or if it was vice versa. And he was like, Hey, I want to do this for X-Men, but it, it works. And as someone who's read old X-Men issues, because Paul made us for a (laughs) monthly train policy and, and did not like them. And then even going back, and trying to read the 90s X-Men that 
or not even the nineties, but like the early like the seventies X Men that I should like because I grew up in the nineties as an X Men fan. I couldn't do it because it's done too much in that seventies style. This is just a great version of that, and it moves on a clip, and it's history that you know but told in a really fun way. It the the, the voice, everything with this book is really really well done, and I didn't pick volume or number two of this um just because i didn't want to give anything away that hey i really like the book i think it's really fun i really 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 enjoyed reading this it's nothing like it didn't you know i love the art in it. it the art didn't blow me away the storytelling didn't blow me away it just was superbly fun that captures that person who Yes, I've read X-Men in the past. Yes, I've watched the X-Men cartoon. Yes, I have a huge knowledge and love of X-Men, even though I don't read their stuff now. It captured all of those things and all the history I know and presented in a way that was enjoyable to read. Uh, on the art, because, like you said, it doesn't blow me away. Because it is that just classic X-Men art style. But he does such a great job of aping it that it fits right in. Oh, it, it, it looks like an old school comic book. But then when you think like, no, this book was drawn in 2017, it it works so well. It does. It's it is so well. It's really amazingly well done. It's it's a great it's a great book. It's done, like I said, superbly. Like it's it's masterfully done, and it's exactly how it should be. It captures the look, the voice of everyone perfectly. Uh, something else I dug, and it, uh, at a few moments in this, you do get the bigger glimpses of the Marvel Universe, because it does start off with Namor fighting the Human Torch at the beginning, which was the very first like Marvel Comics number one. Later on in the book, there's some robbers that are wearing like Spider-Man and Captain America masks. So it fits into the bigger Marvel universe before there was the Marvel universe as we know it with putting these characters into those trappings. So you know they exist alongside everyone else. It's not just in an X-Men vacuum. Uh, yeah. All your thoughts? I really enjoy- I thought it was a, a lot of fun. I There were stories that I forgot about, like uh, the creation of uh, Juggernaut. Like, I forgot that that's how he got his powers with the crystal and stuff like that. So it was a good refresher. I don't know if I would ever hand this off as to a person to explain who the X-Men are, though. Because it does feel like you kind of already need to be an X-Men fan uh, yeah, to kind of enjoy I, it. I agree. I, I would say this isn't a book you hand to someone you want to make an X-Men fan. This is a book you hand to someone who's already an X-Men fan. Yeah, I was going right. to say the exact same thing. So it's sorry, like sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. It, I literally like I my same same thought. You just got it out first. Like I would have said the exact same thing. So it's kind of weird. Like who's this? This book is for the fan that's already there, and it's basically explaining everything we already know, but may have forgotten. So, but it's fun to read. But for five dollars, it's a little extreme to charge that to a fan already. 
Uh, granted, now it's 99 cents on Comixology, so... But, okay, but here's the thing. How it's much was the DC New Frontier series when that was coming out? Yeah, but that was... A, I feel okay, like that was okay, more how of a do, how, do you, how do you defend that? Because it was a different take and a different look, and it was okay, well, to have that. So, because he was playing on the social, like he actually put it into the social menu of what was happening then, and it wasn't a character retelling the story. It was those characters experiencing it for the first time while dealing with that social uh, justice kind of stuff that was happening. Because you have Wonder Woman freeing a bunch of people in Vietnam. And then handing the weapons to the people she just freed. He said, yes, yeah, Superman, deal with that shit. Well, but, like, okay, so, but at, at, at the heart, this is a retelling of the X-Men mythology, much like that was a retelling of the DC Universe mythology. And it draws from the history of the time. Because like, if you even look at the, like the additional reading is what it's called in the Grand Design. There's stuff that appeared in... X-Men stories that were published in 2002 that they worked into the original story. Okay. So it does, it, it is, so, I mean, it, it's not, the, it's not the same, it's not the as... same thing, which I don't want to like portray it. Like I'm trying to say like, this is the exact same thing. Cause it's not, but this is taking a broader look at the X-Men history, but then trying to fit it into everything. And for the, Person who actually spent the five ninety nine on it. When you told me, "Oh, it's at nine ninety nine," I was like, "Or ninety nine cents now?" I was like, well, "I'd still pay five ninety nine. Like, I'm gonna pay five ninety nine for the next book when it comes out tomorrow, and I'm gonna sit on my couch and read it. Like, I'm gonna read it tomorrow. I enjoyed the book. I've wasted less money on books I've been so unimpressed with that this book." was it delivered for my five ninety nine I felt like I got something out of it. Where I spend three ninety nine or two ninety nine on a book and I'm like, man, I should have just flushed that money down the train. This is I didn't get anything out of it. I didn't like anything about it. This I like the way the story was written. I'm an I'm I'm a fanboy from a small age of X Men. And this was just a fun X Men book to read. Tying in those history. I was actually, it's only um, two issues. And I was kind of yeah. like, oh man, they could have made their money on me because I would have kept, I mean, and they did like three, four, five, six issues and they were all this good following all the history. I probably would have kept reading it. If they did that, I would want them to update the art in a way that that was doing the art of that time with that paper quality of that time. Well, did you as well? Uh, yeah, I agree. Like on the on the um, yeah, like on the front cover, on the front cover you have like uh, for X Men Grand Design, it's teenagers out of outfit and then in outfit, and then for mm-hmm. Grand Design number two, if you look on the last page, it has the the X Men outfit with the yellow and the black with the masks. And then on the other half, like it cuts Iceman in half where he looks like a, a snowman. And then it has that clear silver look. And then the, the common look of the X-Men that you know. I think th- I think the art isn't going to change too much. But I think he is going to draw the characters the way they were supposed to be drawn. And you're paying for this guy in this guy's style. 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna pay for it. You don't have you don't have to read it. You're not paying for it. You know, it's me. Right. It, it does what I want in this book. Right. I was saying, like, I don't know who the book the audience is for. I enjoyed it. I'm glad I didn't pay the five ninety nine. I agree. I would probably pay the five ninety nine if I had to get the second. If you didn't want to pick up the second one, I would be like, yeah, I'll pick up the second one, I, guys. So we. Can I, read it. I think as soon as you started saying that, I realized who the audience for this book is, Who's and that? it's us. Oh yeah, because we we are X Men fans. <laughs> we love comic books. We appreciate older comic books, even if we don't necessarily like reading them, just because because of just what the medium was at the time. Like, it's hard to take your modern sensibilities and then go back and read that book. It just it's so far past the time that it just reads as like the time cap was like, oh no, this is the old and folksy X Men. Here we are now, like fifty years later, and look at what it's become. This is a great melting of that, and I, I think that this is written for us and people like us that grew up loving X Men that might not have wanted to read those older books because, like, oh, these are old comics. Like, I, I don't want to read that. And they are like some of those old books are bad. I have. I, I mean, just listen to our monthly trade policy for mm-hmm. the, uh, the Dark Phoenix book, Paul. Uh, yes, Paul. For, for I like that more than you guys did. Yeah, for yes. for years we know. For years for Christmas, my family were giving me um all the volumes of the the, the trade like trade versions of the original Spider Man books. The Marvel Masterpieces. Yeah. And I finally told him like, Hey guys, this is great that you're doing this, but can you please stop? You're wasting your money because I'm not even reading these. They're they're unreadable. Like I I thumb through them, I look through them, but I don't read them because it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> wow, hey boy, what are you doing? I'm Spider Man. Who? And like everything is is written so awful. It's awful. I have the same it's... thing with I have '40s Green Lantern, Alan Scott. You know, they're unreadable like it's fun to look through and look at the read them it's just uh like pulling teeth i i don't know if anyone else remembers this but one of the first uh like two comic book conventions we went to is the wizard world philly uh just randomly i won a thor marvel master pieces (laughs) like hardcover trade paperback because like they were doing like, just random trivia at the Marvel booth. There's a crowd of people. There's a dude on a microphone yelling out trivia questions. If you knew the answer, you yelled it out. And then, hey, if you got it, you got a prize. The question was, like, what's Thor's human alter ego? And it was like, Donald Blake! Dude gave me a hardcover Thor Marvel Masterpiece book. Awesome prize to it just for, like, walking around the convention floor. I never read it. I tried to. I I couldn't do it. If you told me tomorrow, having read this now, hey, you know what? Ed Pisker's doing a Thor grand design. I would definitely check that out. Uh, yeah, I would. 
I think any character, you know, any character that you enjoy, or like even just, oh, I enjoy uh, uh, the Iron Man in the movies. Oh, he's doing a telling of Iron Man's whole history. I'd read it. I think it's done well enough. I think we're we're like super defending it when Paul's like, no, I liked it. But I liked it. <laughs> it's just like it's that book where it's like, no, I liked it, and I, it's just one of those. It's a n- very niche book. Yeah, super niche. No, it definitely is. It is super niche, and that's all I'm saying. I'm like, I, I have a hard time recommending this book at five ninety nine to but, okay, but anybody right now, unless right now, I sat down with them. Oh yeah, ninety nine cents. Yeah, that's what I said at the beginning. I'm like, ninety nine cents, go do it. Here's the thing. Ninety nine cents. Here's the thing. It's worth the risk. I recommended this book to my two best friends who love comic books and X Men. Right. And it was a hit. And yeah. meet me and Paul. And it was a hit. <laughs> yeah. I think that's it's, who it's supposed to be for. It's not. But that surprised the freak out of me because you guys hated the old X Men stuff. This is really well done. Oh, I, oh but my it feels gosh. like so, I was reading it. I'm like, I don't know if John liked spending the six dollars. Well, no, this, that's so the thing. I'm like, so as surprised. soon as I started reading this, I was like, oh, this is a this is like a Paul book. <laughs> <laughs> no, but not, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But I meant that as like, no, this is the the look back copyright bagged broadcast 2008 uh, <laughs> at the X Men history, but it's done in such a swell way, like. I, I close out of the book, so I can't look at it now. But like in one of the first pages, you have like humans chasing mutants on panel, and it's like get out of America, and it's just like just in the writing of it, it's like oh no, like this is this is how it would be written today. You have people chasing around mutants, saying like get out of our country, get out of America. He's doing the same thing, but this is like the 1960s X Men that I'm looking at. I can instantly take that like dichotomy of like the old and the new, and it's working. Yeah, but it's also working because that was exactly the story in the 1960s, too. No, but okay, here's the thing. <laughs> if we picked up that 1960s X-Men and we tried to read it, it, it would just... It would fall it flat. Would, it would, it would, yeah. I, I Joining in on a friendly baseball game at the Xavier Institute... We see young Scott Summers ready to pitch a ball to the adoring Jean Grey. Like you should write, I hope oh, you should write my ball without using her power. You should write a Christmas special, Paul. Uh, and, to be honest, and Chris, that's exactly what I was going to say. I'm like, I hope Jean doesn't use her telekinesis to slow down my fastest pitch that I have. But that's that's the thing. Like, we know where that story would go because it's just. I don't want to say basic, but it's just that's that's the style of the writing. Like that's the only place it could go. Uh, I saw the cover of this and I was like, "Ooh, I like the look of this," and I put it in my wish list because I was like, mm, five ninety nine. Mm. Uh, next day, I saw like a review on it, and it was like, "Hey, this is really you know, it's a really good X Men book. You should, for an X Men fan, you should read it." I bought it, not realizing it, it was the story of the X-Men. So I started reading it and like, you know, immediately you're like, Oh, this is telling the whole history of X-Men. And I was like, okay, I'm down for this. And it just moved along on a clip. And I just kept, you know, I just kept reading it. I read this on, on Christmas Eve at work 
I read it on my lunch. And then like anytime I had like, well, I got a couple minutes here. I'd stop and I'd like read a couple panels and they'd be like, okay. And then I'd read a couple panels and I finished it by the time I left work. But I was like, man, what was like just such a good read? And that was not, yeah, not realizing. Did you guys realize it was the history of the X-Men before you started reading it or just you just read it um, and were like, I, oh. I had heard of this book before, but I didn't know like too much about it. Yeah, I didn't realize it was going to be the history. I thought the grand design, I'm like, it could be anything. It could, like, I saw the cover and I'm like, oh, it must be, it, it, it could have been like, back. yeah, it could have been one of those, like, DC Secret Files and Origins where it's just mm-hmm. like a bunch of bullshit, like, hey, here's the layout of the, the mansion. This, yeah. this is where Beast plays video games on, like, the Blackbird. Like, it could have just been something. Oh, man. I, I, I would have been expecting that was what I spent my money on. But here's the thing, like, I was having like those DC okay. Files and Secret Origins. Like, I bought a bunch of those issues because I was like, "Oh, I like Teen Titans. They're coming out with the Teen Titans one shot. I want to know more about this." I was half expecting it to be something with Mister Sinister, like, and his like, because you hear the great design or something like that, and you're, I, I automatically think, "Well, you're right because you do get to see Mister Sinister, but you see everybody in this." Oh, like, that's that's uh, the but, beauty of this. But I was I have expecting it to be like oh it's everything that's happened to the X Men you know since since the beginning of time it's all been to Mister Sinister's plan and sets up the new story arc for whatever bullshit's happening in the X Men universe. But luckily it wasn't. This doesn't tie into the rest of that bullshit that's happening in the X Men universe. It just is. But speaking about another Marvel book that ties into the bullshit of the universe, we have. Paul's pick. Yeah. Which this yeah, is uh, I I think Paul's pick's the next obvious place to go for oh, uh, yeah. a look back to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I, I it had to go here. Uh this is uh Marvel two in one, the thing and the human torch. It's part of the Marvel Legacy line, guys. Fate of the uh, Four Part One. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking it's written I, by I feel like that was like a nineteen sixties Batman show. It was like Fate of the Four Part One. And then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, written by Chip Zardinsky, uh, art by Jim Chung, with inks yes, by Jim John Chung. Dale and uh, Walden Wong, colorist Frank Barden. In uh, this, we have a uh, like overly risk-taking Johnny Storm uh, on his own, walking away from Ben Grimm and the rest of the Fantastic Four as. Uh, Frank, Valerie, uh, Mr. Fantastic, and Sue Storm have all gone missing. You know you used uh, everybody's and... name but Reed Richards? Reed Richards, yeah. No? Oh, yeah, I did. Uh, Reed Richards and Sue Richards uh, have all gone missing after their last uh, journey into the cosmos. And it's been, year- it's been years or a year or months. I don't know how much time has really passed comic book-wise, but it has been years real time wise um and johnny's kind of gone off and is just taking become more of a risk taker he's now a uh like a nascar driver and ben grim has kind of been living a very quiet life and it all comes well, together oh, i like ben's become the elder statesman of the fantastic <laughs> four now and he's the one that's making the appearances at like the charity balls and stuff to give the speeches but he also doesn't like it 
No, but he's he's doing he's it. He's doing though. it because he feels like he has to. And I also love that he now has tiny little reading glasses. <laughs> that he's able to put on his nose that sometimes exists, sometimes it doesn't exist. Which, I mean, it, I love those little glasses. reading glasses. It's I, hard to wear glasses with a normal nose. I can't even imagine, like, with a rock nose that has no, like, oils to hold them on. Yeah. It's it's amazing because he doesn't have ears to put the loopies around him. Oh, shit. How did, oh, they're like... They're almost like little... Mo- like Yeah, like a monocle. They just monocle. pinch on the bridge. Oh, my God. I have a, I have a great name for this because there's two of them. We call them bionicles. Oh. Sell it. Done. So yeah, um, those are the, the Lego figures that came out like mm-hmm. 12 years ago. Bionicle. Yeah, bionicles. Uh, but you have basically the thing... Ben Grimm realizing that he isn't keeping one of his promises, and that's to look over, look after Johnny. And it takes Spider-Man to come out and be like, "Hey, Ben, you should check on Johnny. He acting reckless." And uh, that's basically this whole story. Uh, this is also where I learned that uh, Spider-Man's no longer rich and doesn't have his company yeah. anymore. <laughs> Because last time I was reading the Spider-Man book, Peter Parker had the Parker Institute, which was this, like, conglomerate science institution. And now Spider-Man's popping up like, yes, here's the keys to the Baxter building, because now my boss, Peter Parker, is poor. He's like, oh. Bankrupt. Good good to know that again. Okay. <laughs> you but, knew it was going to last. It's Spider-Man. They got to they gotta treat him like shit. Uh, I, I would go one further and not say it's Spider-Man. I would say it's comic books. <laughs> Gotta reset. You gotta hit that reset button. Uh, this this book is exactly what I wanted it to be, and kind of what it needed it to be because mm-hmm. Ben's kind of always been the heart of the Fantastic Four, and to have him still to continue to be that, even though the Fantastic Four is broken and splintered, mm-hmm. it works. I I think he's the best character to kind of follow into this story uh, with Reed Richards. Like secret last will and testament. Yeah, that not even I, Doom could crack. What I love is it's just Doom manipulating the whole scene from the back because man, Doom's the best villain. Is that real? Isn't it like the? Is it really Doom? Who is it? Yeah, because yeah, that's he, Doom. He has like the, the like the Iron Man style mask. He had his own series that came out I, like last he, year. He's irredeemable Iron Man. Yeah, that was what the only was, reason yeah. is because he was like, uh, uh, Doom picked it up, and then he's like, I mean, I picked it up. Like it, he had like a line like that, and I was like, I haven't been following okay. what's going on. But is he the- Doom? Also, always talks in the third person when he's being really doomy. I, I feel like that was him trying to relate to Ben as he's handing over this the scientific MacGuffin to Ben Grimm that only he can open. So. Doom can then spy on him to find out what he needs to know. Like, it portrays, like, a good air of humanity from Victor Von Doom, but at the same point, he's still being Doom. I I think it works really well on that. That's the only thing, because I know, I just I just didn't know what the story was. Behind, and I was like, "Is it Doom, or is it someone pretending to be Doom?" And they found this, and they were returning it. I was like, "I wasn't sure." Well, Doom, Doom, you know, he's going to start fighting Ben Grimm, and then he realizes, "Hey, guy, 
that's this isn't what I came here for. Hey guys, I do love hey punching. I didn't come here for that. Hey guys, what? Well, but in, I do in love Doom's punching defense, you in the face. In Doom's except, defense, Ben Grimm's the one that just like took a pot shot at him to begin with. Doom did say, "Get your crumbly or like granite or some sort of crevicey finger out of yeah, Doom's face." Like, that. <laughs> like something like that. Get thy like he says something stupid like get thy uh I buy um KG craggy digit from the face of doom that's it remove your Kate craggy digit from the face of doom I come bearing gifts uh much like X-Men grand design I think this is a great fantastic four story to hand off to someone that's even just a a passing fan of fantastic while they're both very different in kind of execution, this is much more modern as mm-hmm. opposed to Grand Design's nostalgia-based look at it. Uh, I, I, w- I was hooked on this. I I love this book. I follow the artist Jim Chung on Tumblr, and he puts up a lot of just like his sketch work, and he'll do some of his interiors that he's working on at the time. So I saw some panels from this maybe like three months ago, and I was like, oh, he's he's doing a Fantastic Four book before it was announced. And looking at those panels, I was like, man, I I want to read this book. And I, I wasn't let down by it. Like, he does a great job of portraying the humanity of these characters, which, at, at their base, like, yes, they're a family of superheroes, and they're bound together by that humanity. I, I love this book. Uh, I thought it was uh, really well done. Um, the two-in-one, I wasn't sure what the name meant. Uh, I thought it was I thought I was getting two different stories in the book. Um, and not just that weird backup that was like pages. Um, but I was, Which they've, they've been doing, and I, I do want to talk about that later. Okay. Uh, but I thought the book, I thought the book really went well, um, it bleeds Ben Grimm's heart all over this book, mm-hmm. and he captures that perfectly to write this. It is the best interpretation I've seen of the Fantastic Four since Paul's favorite interpretation oh. of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. And you only get two of the four in this book. Jonathan Hickman's run on the Fantastic Four, by the way. In, uh, it, but here's the thing: like last time I saw Johnny Storm, it was in was it Guardian? No, Ben Grimm was in Guardians. Inhumans. It was the Inhumans bullshit. Yeah, it was some like random book that they like shoehorned him into, and we read it for one of our monthly lookbacks. Yeah, I'm sorry. But yes. reading it, no, oh, I bought it. It was just oh, you were. <laughs> I think I bought it. But it was a it was a book that they had put Johnny Storm into because. We can put like put him into this book, and it just... he dated Crystal for a while, so it kind of. But makes he sense. was doing Medusa. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Uh, on the back, on I the back. forgot about. It. But that's the thing. Like that didn't feel like Johnny Storm. No, it didn't. This this does, even though like he's not fully in the book. Like he appears at the beginning and then again at the end, where you see oh. him just. He's being the hotshot daredevil because he needs to feel alive. You know, it's it's played out, but it, this book does a good job of dealing with that. 
it's not that he, so he feels alive. It's that he's a character that knows that he doesn't know who he is without his powers. So he doesn't want to be anybody. He doesn't want to be alive without his powers. So he just keeps on pushing himself until he breaks. He's, uh, he's kind of broken. So Ben Grimm, he's going to fix him. Because he's the ever-loving blue-eyed thing. And I ever loved this book. Mm -hmm. I, this is a Fantastic Four book. This is the Fantastic Four as it should be. It should be a family book. It should be, that should be the heart of it. Like, each of them coming together to help each other out, to help each other through something. Uh, and it does it, it does it right. So what's going on with you, John? Not much, dude. So, uh, you can get all four Batman, uh, four original Batman movies. For $15 on Amazon. <laughs> Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin together on Blu-ray. Did you watch that video I shared last night? I, it might have been too late. But uh, this guy talks about he talks about um, Batman 2, what the original... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was... I saw, the, I saw you post it, and I'm like, ooh, this guy's talking, and it's kind of boring. And I've already heard about, like... Damon Wayne, one of the Wayne's brothers being Robin, and I've already heard about like. Oh it, no! It was what it, it. It ultimately wasn't about that. I'm back. Oh okay. Was about what? The video that uh, John shared last night about uh, Batman Returns. Oh, I haven't watched it. Yet. It was just it but... was how it was how his script and everything evolved and how they got to the place. That Batman's Return was, and this guy's point of view is like, Batman Returns is a, a really departure from what we got with Batman. The movie really changes, and it focuses a lot more on the villains than it does the superheroes and what the original yeah. script was supposed to be. I, I thought for like a eight minute video or fourteen minute video, whatever it was, it really kind of delivered something very interesting and. Um, some of the point of views that I didn't know was the plan for the Batman. Uh, on that note, have you watched the cracked video on YouTube? It's kind of like junk history. No. Um, I think there's like three or four of them, but it's basically one of the, like the cracked guys. I can't remember like who he is. He's one of like the newer people, but it's him like with a piece of like pop culture history and then he just explains its relevance, not just to like what it's representing, but in the overall scope of things. And he, like the last one that came out, was one of the like the McDonald's toys from Batman Returns, and it's like the it's the penguin toy, and it's like, hey, I was able to buy this penguin toy off of like eBay for a dollar, but here's how it costs like. Warner Brothers like millions of dollars because mm-hmm. they they use this toy to sell Batman, but the character they were portraying it as was actually like Danny DeVito, and he was like a terrible goblin of a person in the movie, which like Warner Brothers lost out on so many millions of dollars because of the marketing of the film. It's all really interesting. Oh, so if you share that to me, I'd watch it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out because uh, it's it's cool. Because even like they make mention in the video like, <laughs> uh. And McDonald's toys, which I don't know how you capitalize on that because this movie is not for children. Yeah, no, that's and but that's what happened. Like they portrayed it like it was, 
Um, and spoilers for like the uh, the YouTube video was like, like where parents were complaining like, no like we we bought these Happy Meals and like our kids love the toys but then we saw the movie and it was fucking terrifying like the penguins parents like leave their kid to die in the theater and then McDonald's had to be like well no 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 we weren't selling Batman Returns toys we were selling Batman Returns toys it has nothing to do with the movie. They look like the movie and yes. things from the movie. <laughs> that was the thing. Like that's how like they tried to sell it off. And ultimately, like what it came back to is that's what knocked uh, Tim Burton off the Batman movies. Well, because they took like such a hit on what they like wanted to make because it wasn't a kids movie. His the, the like in the in the video that I shared, like his vision was more in line with what you got with. Uh, Batman, and it was a little more under that kid-friendly Robins in it, you know, all these little easygoing, more family thing, and Warner Brothers like, ah, we don't like that script, make it more edgy. And like, so he's like, yeah, okay, let's do this. I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna bring on the writer of Heather's uh, to write this script. <laughs> really? Yeah, and that's where everything really changes, and the villains change. You were supposed to get uh, what's his name is Two Face in uh, Lando. Uh, Billy, Billy D. D. Williams is Two Face in it, and, it, and like uh, the guy said, if you read the script, he be, the way he becomes Two Face is a lot like how you see it in the animated series. And when the other writer came on, that's where it became uh, Shrek. It was actually supposed to be Billy D. Williams' character being more of a Shrek character until he becomes Two-Face, and it was going to be like Penguin and Two-Face and stuff, but I don't know. I, I, I thought it was really a really interesting video. That's why I shared it. Oh, I'll check it out. I just haven't had a chance to watch it since I... Uh, yeah, I sent it last night. I, like, I wasn't, like, handing it. I was just trying to make small talk uh, with Paul while you uh, were gone. Come- Kate and I uh, started watching uh, the toys that made I us. Was, that was, I was about to ask, like, have you guys watched any of them? Because uh, I so love that series. I was really enjoying it, and then Kate about 15 minutes in was like, wait, is this episode just all about Star Wars? And I'm like, um, okay. Here, yeah. <laughs> more of the story, it's all about Star Wars, because Star Wars changed the like, geography of the toy universe in, like, the 70s. Because Kate was like, oh, this does sound interesting, but she thought it was going to be, like, oh, the Star Wars toys and then talking about another toy and talking well, about like, another toy. No, but like, that, each all in one episode. a different toy. So, like, number two is about Barbie, I think. Yeah. But she was like, yeah, I can't do an hour all on Barbie. And she's like, I can't do an hour all uh, on one, you know. Paul, as a boy who never played with Barbie. And it's it freaking like, interesting, though. Oh, my God. It's so fucking It's interesting. really interesting. Because, because the weird German sex doll thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they talk about that. But then, like, the dude that actually, like, created Barbie, like, his fucking story is, like, something completely different. Like, mm-hmm. and like. The company tried to distance himself. Oh, it's it's really good. Kate can do an hour of Barbie. Nah, uh, it was you know it was New Year's Eve and yeah. she was already annoyed with. Me I watched them all on dad. Christmas Eve. I watched all four episodes. The He-Man one's probably my favorite though. We the, the He-Man one was really funny. I, I, that Kate, fucking clip. <laughs> Caitlin and I was like, it put a fucking saddle on him. I go in the next day, and got a saddle on him. It was like that. Did they talk to. That was it. Uh, when, when, like, those guys started swearing and stuff, Caitlin and I just, like, turned and looked at each other, like, this show is incredible. Uh, but did they talk to, uh, 
Jerry Conway at all? No. Oh, I thought he did all the like backstory on the writing of that. Well, okay. Spo- again, spoilers for the uh, the Netflix show. They basically came up with like He Man and the Masters of the Universe just because they're like, oh, like we need something to to fight against Star Wars. We sat and we listened and, to Kit, and they talked about these well, things. So we're gonna go after barbarians. Hey, that was what it was. <laughs> yep. Did you watch it? Yeah, I watched all of them. Okay. Uh, so spoilers for Paul. Basically, what came out was like when they had the meeting with Mattel or whatever company it was, mm-hmm. and then they're like, "Well, how are we gonna sell this?" Because like we didn't tell you about the comic book tie-in, and then like <laughs> the people that like from Mattel were like, or uh, like the company that was making the shows was like, "Wait, what?" And they're like, "It was literally just the dude that was like trying to sell it to the toy company was like, oh shit, we need something.'" So they just made up comic books that they were gonna package in with it. And then when they got like, to the next guy, like the next person up, he was like, we didn't tell you about the comic book. And the guy's like, please don't read. And they're like, and we have a cartoon. <laughs> That's all it was. Yeah, and Jerry Conway comes in and actually writes that shit. <laughs> uh, no, it was really good. Caitlin and I, um, we started watching, we probably watched about half of the Star Wars one before people arrived at our house for Christmas. And then once everybody left, we finished watching Star Wars. And then the next day, we both had the day off, and we watched uh, two. Like we watched the Barbie one and the He Man one. And then like the next day, we watched the GI Joe one. The GI Joe one's good, which I mean, of course, it's going to be. Like they have four more episodes left. I don't know when they're gonna post them or whatever, but I really hope they do Transformers. Well, Caitlin, like that's that's the only other one they can do. Caitlin was like, oh, what else? Um, what are the other videos? And I was like, we only have the four up. And he's like, oh, is that all they're doing? I was like, didn't you watch? Didn't you listen to the song? <laughs> the theme song. The theme song says there's, and it's an eight-part series. And I'm going to interrupt because I heard him Caitlin! talking. Hi. Uh, all John did watching every single one of those shows, anytime a figure came up, I had that one. <laughs> I did the same I had thing that one. to myself. said he did the same thing. I had that one, too. <laughs> And I'm, I'm just sitting always, here like, oh I always my wanted that one. I didn't sit there during the Barbie one and go, I had the one with the long hair. I had that one too. I had that one. Yeah, but G.I. Joe's and He-Man's were totally different. <laughs> oh my gosh. One was an action figure, one was a doll, and they started <laughs> calling it an action figure. Guys who created He-Man were so high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want to hear him? No, I can hear Chris. Oh, you can hear yeah. Put my headphones. Really? It's entertaining. I think it's gone. Oh. No, I'm here. Oh. I mean, I didn't play with any of those toys, but it was entertaining to just look at the history of how they came about. And you really do get to see a lot of that culture from the, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties. Yeah, Kate was more interested in it when we thought it was gonna be you know, more than just one toy brand per episode. But when it was like, oh, this is all just the Star Wars one, okay, well. Star Wars one was, there. like, I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, that was. I am very excited to see this, guys. Don't. You should need to watch it. I am X-Men Grand Designs <laughs> about, this, <laughs> about this right now. I'm just telling you 
how it went over. Now I wasn't allowed to watch it. No, when are no, they? It, uh, he had four of them. When are the other four coming out? I haven't seen anything about that, but I, I can't wait. And I don't know what else they'll do, but they have to do Transformers. <laughs> Cats are they, fighting. Wait a second, Furby. And Cabbage Patch dolls. Well, I, no, think cabbage, cabbage, I think Cabbage, cabbage Patch yeah. and even like maybe my buddy. But I, uh, I would no. I think Cabbage Patch basically encompasses the my buddy thing too. Yeah, I agree. And, and, my Little Pony. Yeah, My Little Pony. Oh yeah. And maybe Pokemon. Oh, Pokemon. Just trying to think of things See, that you had like just, figurines and you had games and you had shows and stuff like that. Like Rainbow Bright, Strawberry Shortcake, like that's other stuff that came out like in, at that time because it seems to be very based off the eighties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Care Bears. I mean, like what Care Bears? You had like the other stuff, like Ninja Turtles, maybe Thundercats. Yeah. But then, and then yep. there was like all the Thundercats, like ripoff stuff, like uh, Silverhawk. And they and showed Star. they showed Silverhawk and Brave Star with the uh, He Man stuff. Oh. I want to watch the beginning again and see if they have yeah, like, they might tease them giveaways. In there. I, I think they had when you they walk into like the Toys R Us, you know, at the beginning. Which man, how much did Toys R Us pay to like be at the beginning of that? <laughs> uh, they don't have any toys. Never says R Us. It's their last like hallelujah. They're going bankrupt. Yeah, I think Ninja Turtles could probably be one because if you think about it, when Ninja Turtles came out, every other company was like. Oh, Cowboys of Mesa, Street Sharks, Biker Mice from Mars. Like, everyone was Junkyard Cats. Yeah. Like, yeah, everyone was doing, like, those, like, oh, here's a big version of an animal that's human. Ninja Turtles is, like, almost the same thing as the He-Man. Like, they were overproducing with side characters and not producing with mainstream characters. Like, yeah, that's why I had, like, 40 other figures, but then only one, like, of each turtle. I had the original, when they first released toys, I had the original... Uh, Shredder, Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. and then I had all these extra characters. I had the Batman Bat character. I had the uh, Evil Turtle. You know, you had all the uh, the, the Fly uh, Baxter. Uh, oh yeah, head Baxter. Stuff. I'm gonna yeah. go watch the intro and I'll be right back and let you know. <laughs> well, anyways, we gotta homework. get reco- we gotta finish up so I can go mm-hmm. rub Kate's feet. We played Heroclix. Come on, yeah. I guess we're always playing Euroclix. It's my life. <laughs> uh, just as a heads up, I'm going to go into uh, Doomsday Clock, because that's the one that's... Yeah. All right. So, Chris, that was my book. You bought some books. You bought a lot of books, Chris. Right? I, I, I bought a lot of books, but we're only going to talk about two of them. Ooh. Which is the first? Well, the, the first book is also... You're on the clock. I'm on the clock. Uh, the first book is also drawing off of something that's happened in the past. And this is Doomsday Clock number two from DC uh, DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns, art by Gary Frank. Two of 12. We talk, two of 12. It's a maxi series. We talked about issue number one last, uh, episode, last look back episode. Uh, my thoughts were kind of, well, I think this book will be better once they introduce the DC characters into it. And I was it. You know, that that was my thought, like, because mm-hmm. I think this book does get better once they bring those characters in. Because much as I like Watchmen, I like it for what it was at that time and what it did for comic books. 
Watchmen isn't something that I'm just going to sit down on a rainy day and read and be like, wow, this is how I want to spend my day. And the first, I'm flipping through the book as I'm saying this. I'm 10 pages in. It's also very Watchmen-y with things that are happening. But then once you get in, like 16 pages in, we have Bruce Wayne appearing at like a psych evaluation. And we have that crossover with the Watchmen characters. That's where I actually really started to be engrossed in this book a little bit more. I really like the beginning with the uh, the mime and um, Maniquette. What? Uh, yeah. Uh, with them, I I I see it. I I don't want to say I liked it because it's it's very Watchmeny and. Again, like from the first one, my review is like, yeah, Jeff Johns does a great job of that Watchmen type storytelling. But at the heart of it, these are terrible characters that you shouldn't like, you shouldn't look up to. So it's hard to say like, yes, I enjoy reading them because they're they're terrible. Like they're cutting off dudes' fingers as they're trying to like break into a bank, and it's not until later when you have them with Adrian Veet uh, and like the new Rorschach trying like to jump to where Dr. Manhattan is now that brings us to the DC universe and I'm like okay yes I'll start paying attention because I was reading the book but I was zoning in and out of it for the first half of it uh, I was invested in the book after finishing the last book and enjoying it going into this I thought the story was told uh perfectly you got a little history for those characters that you didn't even know existed and then kind of liked by the end of it and i thought it ended on another little cliffhanger uh i honestly feel like you should buy we should do three next month <laughs> no you no, gotta buy them all like you like, gotta you buy, should buy i mean we should read you should buy them all no. and uh we should read them uh every week and it'd be kind of a fun for another 12 honestly <laughs> Uh, I will say at the end of this, I do want to see what happened because spoilers for a book that came out two weeks ago now. Um, the comedian's back, and the the hook of the original Watchmen was like, no, the comedian said, and now here's the story that's spinning out of that. Uh, and also we get like a Rorschach Batman Santa for who's just like, you ate my breakfast. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Paul, Paul, We're your thoughts awesome. on this because this is this is the least it's... Paul book of all the books that we've read today. Exactly, and this is the thing. It's like you were hoping like that that the DC characters being introduced here would make this book better, and I'm like, as soon as they start introducing them, I'm like, no. Okay, well, no, for no. people that might not have read this book, the DC characters that they introduce are Bruce Wayne who has kind of his allegory with Rorschach discovering the Batcave, mm-hmm. but then also Lex Luthor with his allegory with Adrian Veidt, Osmandius, where he's like, yes, I'm the smartest man alive. Let me meet the smartest man alive in this universe. And then Luthor's just like, nah, fuck you. You're nothing. <laughs> like, this, this, this is the game that you're playing. Like, you're so far behind me. His thing is, you're the smartest man on your planet? Please. <laughs> Yeah, and that's like okay. We're gonna give Batman a psych evaluation. It's like 
we're going to try to ground this whole idea of Batman again and being like, nope, Batman's kind of crazy, y'all. Yeah, we all know Batman's kind of crazy, but we don't want to talk about it because okay. it makes Batman less fun. We we know that, but then it Let's it's it's a, it's a storytelling fun. thing where they get to have Bruce Wayne looking at Rorschach tests. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to solve, like, no, I see a boat. I see a bigger boat. That one's a yacht. Because he failed a psych test before, and now the stockholder's like, we don't know if this guy is able to lead us. Well, that and, and and that's all from like Lucius Fox, like saying all this. But it, it's a storytelling thing to just have that visual of him looking at stuff, and then you see it in the next panel where it's like, no, that inkblot. It looks like his parents. That's what he's actually seeing. Is his parents lying in Crime Alley? And you have Rorschach going like, "Oh, this guy's keeping trophies. Creepy." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rorschach's literally like. This guy's a monster. No, only crazy people would do something like keep trophies of like past defeats. And I, I, I like this book more than I like number one. And John, I will say I will buy number three. I don't know. Do we want to have this be a recurring? I think I think we do all twelve issues. Uh, yeah, I think we have to now. But let me tell you, I'm liking them less and less as we go. I, I like this one. I like this one better than I like the first one. I enjoyed the first one after the first half. This one kind of followed through with what I liked of the first one through a whole issue. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would I think I would agree. Art, he just, uh, what is it, Doug Mankey? No, it's Gary, Gary Frank. Frank. I'm sorry. Too. Gary Frank does a great job. Yeah. but The art looks great. I mean, it really does look good. It's, he does it. He does a great job. And, um, my, my praise for number one still stands. Uh, Jeff Johns does a great job of adapting his writing for that Watchmen style. It, it reads like Watchmen. I mean, I'm not going to say it's completely Alan Moore, but it, it's not out of tone. But Gary Frank's heart's fantastic. I mean, he's always a solid artist. Like I've never looked at a Gary Frank book and been like, mm, he could do better. I you know I felt that a little bit when he was doing the whole like I'm casting Margot Kidder and Christopher Reeve uh, and Christopher Reeve as Superman and Lois Lane like when he was doing the casting kind yeah, of yeah but thing that was because Jeff Johns was writing it with Richard with, Donner with Richard yeah Donner. like there was exactly. there was a reason why, but <laughs> those books looks great still was, they, they, they they're still like the best looking Superman books we've read for the show is Christopher Reeve and I just, great. It did look good, but I don't like looking at Margot Kidder. <laughs> no one does. That's why she's not in the pictures. I don't like looking at. Ah, oh, she's just the worst part of those old. We will talk about those old Superman movies maybe some other time. I, I think it's but, worth uh, it. Uh, so, by the way, I'm just... and there also you can get all to Superman, Superman Richard Donner cut. Uh, Superman 2, and also Superman Returns, all on one Blu-ray on Amazon. <laughs> if you go over to bagandboardcast.com slash Amazon for like $7, guys. By the way, the two things I've written down for episode titles are Paul saying I don't do things well, and I don't like looking at Mario Kidder. Uh, I have, uh, what kind of bump? I did! Come on! Hey, guys! Paul said hey, guys, again. <laughs> I didn't catch that. <laughs> That's why we say at the beginning of the episode. Nobody was talking uh, about but, Doom. 
And Doom showed up. He's like, hey, guys. And then he stopped himself because he's like, ah, fuck, I said, hey, guys. I, I did like this book more. Um, I didn't read all of the ancillary stuff in the background, though, with, like, the news cuttings. Uh, at, I don't feel like I at the end to. of the At the end of the book? Yeah, where no. it's, like, the articles yeah, about I, Luther and... No, fuck. I flipped past those, but, again, to kind of throw this back to the original Watchmen, I've only ever read that in trade paperback. When I read it the first time, I read the actual comic book parts. I didn't read any of that extra stuff. And then it was later on subsequent readings that I finally went back and was like, okay, let me read all this. And then I realized I I got more out of it. And I realized I got more because I was already familiar with the story at that point. So I might do the same thing with this, where now that I know we're going to read the rest of it, once it's finished, I'll go back and maybe like read all that extra footage or content but uh what i didn't pay attention to until we just you just mentioned it and then i went and looked at it it's all shot is somebody reading it on a tablet and having yeah. links up and uh you know like you have like superman takes a stand against metahuman outrage as the world reacts to conspiracy theories on their origins by lois lane and i'm like man that is a really long title uh, but it's kind of interesting that, that they're just all these little pop up. Um, you can see the, the where you would minimize and expand and do all that on this. And it's kind of it's so well done considering like how Watchmen was done. And it was done and it looked like a newspaper article or a, a story from a book. In this, he's doing the same thing, but he's doing it. How do people read this stuff? They read it on a tablet. They read it on their phone. They read it as uh, an article that they could minimize. And uh, I think it's it's well done. It's well thought out. I don't expect anything less from Jeff Johns when he's going to do this kind of thing. I think for a little bit, he's fallen off our radar. One, he's barely been reading writing any books. But two things that he had been reading, writing, we haven't been reading. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, you know, Watchmen is from the 80s, and it's a thing that I don't really like, unlike Star Wars from the 80s, which I do well, like. Well, before you, we move on to the next one, uh, okay. I, I do want to say I think, much like number one, this is a much better usage of the Watchmen family of characters than we had a couple years ago with the before Watchmen books, which I want to say we read all of those number ones we did not. before the show. We did not. I thought, did we stop? We, did a review. we, re- yeah. we read like two or three okay. of them. Nobody wanted to commit to buying them. Yeah, okay. I, cause I think, I know I read like a few of them. We read like, I think we read The Comedian. We read like the, the uh, I want to say Morlock, but it's not. It's the, uh, the one villain, uh, Moloch. Something like that. Uh, yeah. The comedian, the comedian's villain. Uh, yeah, um, and we, I think we read like two or three of them. But yeah, I m- much better use of those characters. And if I, they hadn't done those books a couple years ago, I think I would have been more gung ho about reading this to begin with. Well, it's a sequel instead of a prequel as well. So true. Uh, but, okay, um, 
so, you know, behind the show stuff, uh, Paul, uh, we know we're going to edit this. We're going to cut a bunch of stuff out. Uh, <laughs> nope. <laughs> so we'll, we'll remove things, and then you can go to your segue, and then I'll jump in with the next book. So uh, three, two, one. Wow. Wow. While you guys were watching The Watchmen, I kept on wanting to rewatch Star Wars. And luckily, Chris, he picked up a book that was more Star Wars, right? I did. And this is uh, from Marvel Comics. This is Star Wars, The Storms of Crate, number one, written by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker. It's like a Dr. Seuss book uh, with art by Mike Mayhew. And this is telling the tale of our original heroes of the rebellion. So Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, and Chewbacca on their original journey to the planet crate that we saw in The Last Jedi, uh, kind of discovering it as a rebel base and why they had to abandon it, to leave it there, until they went back to it. In this summer's blockbuster, Paul, give us those numbers. Oh, where they made over, uh, let's see here, 531.5. Million dollars domestic United in the States. S- Sorry, Canada. You don't in the count. summer of December. <laughs> hey, wait, wait. In December, December, what year? 2007. 2007. But yeah, uh, like I said, literally, this is just more backstory for the new planet that we saw in the last Star Wars movie. Uh, book looks great gives a, a little backstory that you don't ultimately need to know, but as Star Wars fans, you're kind of happy to, to have it. And I think this is one of the better Star Wars books that we've read in recent history. I hope someone now, agrees with me. Can I ask me. you, Chris? Chris, yes. did he like the art, or did he hate the art? Because I could see you go okay. both ways. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, because I could go both ways. Because it is... Rather light-boxed, it seems. It, it's extremely light-boxed, where it's so photorealistic that when you're looking at it, you're like, wow, this is Princess Leia. But then mm-hmm. you, you start... This is Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia before all the cocaine. Yeah, this but is... you look at it and you're like, okay, well, you're seeing it through that Greg Land lens, where I think it's still better done than that. So I have to give it props for it, that. It is better than, than that. Because you're seeing it, it's still very photo-referenced. You can tell it's lightboxed. At points, it's still very static. And when I say that, I'm looking at the very like front space battle before they make the jump to go to crate, where it just looks like all of those TIE fighters and X-Wings are just there. Like There's no sense of movement at all. And you look at Princess Leia on like the one page, you're like, oh, this is from A New Hope when they're making the attack on the Death Star. Like, Leia, you can. It seems Leia and the Han stuff is really well done because he is like light boxing it, and it does feel like he's just totally copying that. Then the Luke stuff, like he only does it like two or three times. But that's the thing, like so much of those panels of Luke are where he's like sitting back and he's doing something from profile, and you don't get those shots in the movies at all. So the pages where you or the panels where you see Luke. That you could tell, like, oh yeah, that's totally done from like Mark Hamill. It looks just like something out of the movie, because 
again, it's the panels that you see where it doesn't look like Luke. It doesn't look like Luke, it, but it's because he's dropped everything else that makes Luke look like Mark Hamill. Uh, like, and yeah, I think what we're talking about, and I just shared a guy, uh, a picture on uh, Messenger to you guys. It's an awful looking page because it's all like done comic booky, and then it's like, oh, and then I'm just going to paste yeah, yeah. this picture of her face on it. And that's what it seems like in some of these pictures is he's pasting picture of their yeah. face on them. Some of the pictures look great. It takes away from the people who in the first um, when when Star Wars book launched and the artist, I forget who it was, was just drawing everybody to really look like the character. Um, the first arc was done by John Cassidy and same thing. It was John Cassidy doing his art style, which is great, but it was all very static and posed. And then when Stuart Eminent came on the book, that's where he got more like, okay, it, it, he's doing an interpretation of it. That, that's that's who I meant. It was Stuart Eminent. And then I was also thinking of um, uh, what's his name that wrote Northlanders when he did the Dark Horse. Oh, Brian Wood. Brian Wood. When Brian Wood series at Dark Horse, where this people, the guy just drew the characters like the mm-hmm. actors, like he just drew them that way. Um, and I think right. that is that it's like almost cheap to copy, trace their faces and put it on your comic mm-hmm. book page. Um, I, I just sent you guys post like a, a picture where it's like Luke's in four panels on this page. He looks completely different in each one of them. Yeah. Well, that was one of yeah. the pages I was going to send to you too, being like, yeah, yeah, he didn't, <laughs> didn't do it. Um, it's the, it, it, it's well done lightboxing art. It is, because I'm like, oh my gosh, that looks so much like Harry Fisher. That looks so much like Harrison Ford. And you can yeah. see those pictures, you can see those faces and go, oh my gosh, I know exactly a new hope when I saw that. Yeah. And I think that's where it's like a plus, then it's a minus because everything else around it in the page is just a comic book art. The comic book art is good. Like, the guy could have done yeah. it well enough that you would have enjoyed it without him doing that. And I want to say, uh, artist Mike Mayhew, he's the one that did the Obi-Wan issue that we talked about last year, where it was like the secret story of Obi-Wan on Tatooine, where he's like, this is what I was doing while Luke was growing up. That's a gorgeous book. Here's the thing is like his pictures of the, the, the battle with the tie fighters and the Millennium Falcon yeah. flying look great like all of his stuff looks and that's like the first page yeah like, when you go into you're like holy shit this book has production value like it looks fantastic like when when the millennium falcon is parked on the planet when they're in the mine like it all looks good and then he does this like oh i'm really trying to draw it like the people i'm really like copying it and pasting it on their on their bodies that i've drawn it's where it looks odd and it keeps like shifting the look of the book yeah and it takes me a little bit out of it when i'm just look i'm just reading a fun thing to tie into last jedi uh and before we go further on i realize i forgot to bring it up before but it still fits in because in the marvel two-in-one the backup story with like the history of the fantastic four that was done by greg land and that again you can tell Light box, very opposed. Characters look different from panel to panel. 
But it, it's so much better done in Star Wars that while it still sticks out to me, I don't mind it as much. Yeah, and then like the last page where it says like uh next issue, Star Wars, DJ Most Wanted. I'm like, uh, I'd read it. But again, that it might not be done by the same creative team. I do have that on my pull list because I'm not a big Benicio Del Toro I love fan, Benicio but, Del Toro. Uh, I, I think this Benicio Del Toro was like the most Benicio-y we've had in a while. What, since Guardians? <laughs> yeah, because he's like just like that crazy like, uh, yeah. Uh, like, it, it was him being uh, a character. He's a strong, smart character with a stutter. And I, as somebody um, that uh, I, suffered okay, with a stutter, I, do, I don't think I appreciate it. I don't think that's a, a stutter. I think he's he's on something. Uh, no, no. You're going to take that away from me, Chris? I finally get a stuttering role model, and you're just going to take that away? Yeah. Uh, it's 2018. You right? can sell out the Empire. Please. Lock it up, lock it up! To, to, yeah. go, to yeah. go back to the book. I was offered a deal. Uh, basically, everything yeah. that like our rebellion expeditionary force has to say about crate being like, oh, they, this this planet wouldn't be great. Like, there's crazy wildlife. It's fucking made out of minerals and salt. We we With can't have a base here. Sandstorms are okay. Salt storms, no good. No good. Uh, okay, this is a good. Retrospective. But Chris, those crystal foxes, guys. I I want more they're of them. The best. They, they need to exist. Oh, they're the best. <laughs> Freaking! I hate porgs. Porgs but are cool. Those crystal fox. No, crystal foxes so much. No, better yeah, than crystal porgs. foxes are cool. Um, crystal. Fo- it goes powerless. Power ranking of the weird creatures we got. Crystal fox up at the top. Crystal fox number one. Then you got the weird Jedi nuns. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, they're okay. Around. Drunk dude putting chips into BB-8. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that the one voiced by Mark Hamill? Yeah. Uh, because that basic, I have to say, those kind of scenes made me like, okay, this is a movie that exists in a world that the prequels actually happened and mattered. Um, Not in my world. When you but, were on microphone and I was talking to John, I was like, yeah, the, the crates, or not crate, uh, the bet, what was it? Oh, God. The casino. Well, casino planet. What's it called? It, it's oh, okay, Canto Chris. You only... Canto Bite. You've only seen this movie once nope, or twice, twice so far. Uh, the Canto Bite stuff reminded me of the prequels, but just done better. Mm-hmm. Listen, you guys are forgetting the, like... thing, the the creature that Luke walks up to and milks into oh, a no. glass and oh, then no. drinks. That's... Because I was That's like, further down the that list. thing was like, I did not forget John. 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 Reminded me John. of uh, Whitest Kids You Know with the, the manatee. John, oh, John, oh. John, I did not forget about that. It's just further down. The <laughs> you guys also forgot about the Ewoks. Uh, I, no, I no, think no, I no. like the Porgs more than the Ewoks. They were gonna, the wait, scene they where Chewbacca's ex- eating one? Come on. They were going to eat people. Were they uh, gonna Chris, people? you need to watch um, Sicario with Benicio Del Toro. Because he's amazing in that. He plays like a. I, he, I will check he it plays out. Plays a hitman and it's super good. It's a really good. But it's a really good like, movie, just in general. Back to my power ranking, back. and then porks. Porks are on the bottom. Thank uh, you. But back, right. back to the comic book then. Oh, um, right. I, I great. It. Sorry, did you say it's great or it's great? 
Oh, oh, great, great. Um, I I enjoyed this because yes, it's not a book I needed to read, but unlike the Mace Windu book that came out two months ago, I'm glad I read this one. I feel like I read this and then got like a little bit of fun Star Wars trivia that I can then relay to my Star Wars friends that don't pay attention to all this kind of crap. Uh, yeah, it was it was done well enough. I actually wish he'd just drawn the characters, um, just drawn them. It's, it's, yeah, it, I think that's what took a little bit away from the book. But also, I was I enjoyed those first couple pages when I was like, "Oh shit, that's Carrie Fisher." Yeah. But overall, uh, through the rest of the book, it just kind of took away from the book. I think it's kind of a fun story. It's a nice little one shot. Uh, I'm glad I read it, but I'm glad I didn't pay for it. I do want to say special shout out to like the two pages where it's Wedge versus a stormtrooper. He's like, I took down a star or a Death Star. Death Star. Bring a Star Destroyer next time, bitches. I'm Wedge and Dylan. Well, that's I mean that's that's what the fun thing about this book with Luke is is I'm a farm boy. I've already done this, but then he's like, I'm a farm boy. I work hard every day. You're going to come at me. You better come as hard as you can because I've, I've just been spit on and worked my fingers to the bone. Like I suck moisture off of a desert planet. When they say you can't make a stone bleed, I make it bleed. Yeah. And I was like, man, that is such a great, it's a great position for Luke. And I, I really liked it. That's one of the things I really took away from this book, really liking. I, I walked out and being like, fucking Wedge. <laughs> Wedge was the best. Good for, good for you. Say. Wedge doesn't get a lot of like play in the actual Star Wars movies. I know in like the Expanded Universe books, like he's he, like the, the hero of the Rogue Squadron and stuff. But like to see Wedge just be like, yeah, Wedge! That was cool. Scar Squadron has nothing on the Rogue Squadron. Yeah, that kind of stuff. I see. I said something, and then I end the podcast again. <laughs> so, so uh, do you want to do power rankings? Okay. Yeah. yeah sure. I, I I can go first if you guys need to think about it. I'm going to go Google Doc here and listen up. Go ahead first. Okay. Um, then I'll go. For me, my my number one, Marvel Two and One. I really dug that book. Uh, that made me want to be the Fantastic Four fan that Paul is. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, X-Men Grand Design. Great book on the history of the X-Men that I never knew I wanted before. Then Storms of Great, really well done X, or really done Star Wars spinoff. I almost said X-Men again. Uh, Star Wars spinoff, telling me stories that I didn't know I wanted to know, but I'm glad I do now. And then finally, Doomsday Clock. It, it took about 20 pages to get me interested. But then you did it. And I thank you for that. I'm going to go into a time machine and uh, edit this podcast so I actually go first. <laughs> so I'm going to do my power ranking. And it's Marvel 2-in-1. Because I'm the Fantastic Four fan that I am. And then X-Men Grand Design. It's a great book. Uh, a lot of fun to read. And then Star Wars, <laughs> <laughs> The Last Jedi, Storms of Crate. Uh, that Wedge Antilles, man. He's a great, 
He's a great fighter pilot. Uh, kind of a fighter pilot that I wish I could be. I think you could teach Poe Dameron a thing or two. I, I was about to say, okay, Star Wars Storms of Crate was, for Wedge Antilles, what the first five minutes of Last Jedi was for Poe Dameron. You're just like, this fucking guy is awesome. And then, ooh, everyone died. Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love the bombers, though. Oh my god, oh, so that good. scene was so awesome. Good. But then, as soon as you see him, uh, hey, more Star Wars talk, guys. As soon as you see him start getting taken out, you're like, oh shit! Like, but that's that's bombers. Like, bombers go going, knowing that they're not coming back. You fill up, and you're basically hoping you don't e- you don't even have like World War Two bombers. They would go out. With fuel, knowing that they probably didn't have enough fuel to get it back, get all the way back, like that was the mission. Like, yeah, there's no refueling. Like this. Oh, did you watch Dunkirk? Oh, I can't. It'll make me cry. I cry talking about Dunkirk. It is such. I I just I watched it um a couple nights ago, and it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I think the night after Christmas, the day after Christmas. Super, super good. Uh, really well done. It's the war movie that's not like waving the flag in your face. It's just telling the story from all these points of views. And there's a uh, time jumps in it. And it's like, it throws you off just a little bit because you're like, oh, yeah, okay, so we just followed these guys through this part. Now we just follow the pilots through that part. Now we just follow this through that part. And it's all kind of staggered in different positions, but uh, really, really, really well done. Um, but it has like that thing with the guy. It's um, one of the pilots. Like, this keep going on fumes because I need to protect these people. I'm gonna keep flying. I'm gonna keep going, and I'm just gonna coast on fumes. Uh, so, so well done. But that just made me think of it. Those bomber pilots. Eh, they knew they were coming back. This, you know. Anyways. Yeah. You. <clears throat> if you're a bomber pilot, you you kind of. Take off knowing you're not coming back. And then last is uh, Doomsday Clock. It took me 20 pages for this book to lose me. I'm, I'm surprised that's where it lost you. We'll look forward to reading number three next month. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I will. Uh, so, Chris, what are your picks again? Uh, uh, what first. are your picks for the first time? Oh, Time Machine. That's <laughs> I right. Time Machined it. That's right. Uh, that was a joke. Go ahead. Uh, it, your picks. it took me 20 pages to get it, Paul. I'm... I'm going to do uh, Grand Design number one. Um, I just really love the look of the book. Fantastic Four, two and one. Uh, number two. Uh, Star Wars, great. Number three. Uh, Doomsday, Doomsday Clock, number four. And very far on the bottom, uh, the Wicked Divine one shot <laughs> that Chris made me read. Uh, and uh, It was... We would have read it if it was actually a Christmas, a Christmas. It was book, the book that realized that I have uh, fallen off of the book that happened what four years ago, and know nothing of what's going on, and just really turned me off to the book completely. It it reads as but there like, were so many penises, John. <laughs> there was two penises. It reads as an is an annual, not as a Christmas issue. Uh, yes, and. Uh, I wish, I, like, we we had Christmas books on the docket that we just decided not to read, like the, the DC Christmas holiday anthology. Like, again, there wasn't a single story that I was, like, 
Yeah, you guys, this one makes it worth it. There was no, you know, where it was Supergirl and Batgirl, like, sitting. There's no heart. There's no no heart to it at all. And you want that in a Christmas book. Uh, That issue, that, that one, you know, where basically Batgirl's basically taking away all the emergency calls from the Gotham Police Department and has rerouted them to Supergirl and she takes care of everything. Like, that was a, that was a great story. Uh, I love it. if we're also it came out like four years ago, I was yeah, like, been waiting. We're even gonna read a great Christmas story that is comic book related. We should just read Detective Comics like 257, where Dick Grayson uh, gets picked up in the car by Joker. Tim Drake, Drake, it's Tim Drake, yeah. Uh, and it's not 257, it's like I just, I just, I just made a number up. Uh, okay, <laughs> but uh. I think I have it on my shelf. Yeah, somewhere. I think we all have it, and we all pull it out every once in a while and be like, this was such a great book. Um, but it was a Paul Dini issue. Was. If you have books that we missed uh, this month and think we should check out or just talk about in general, let us know over on our Facebook or on our website. Um, Chris is putting up those show notes, and you can comment on those, on things we missed or things that you thought were good or bad about the books that we talked about. Yeah, uh, follow us on Facebook. Follow us on. Uh, are we still on Instagram? I haven't. Oh, seen we are. Yet. I haven't done anything with, but it's definitely still there, so you can still follow it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Twitter, we're we're still on Twitter. We post yeah. that. Uh, we put up a new episode every time on the Twitter. Uh, yeah, yeah. Rate, like us, and rate follow us, us on, us on the iTunes. Do that. Uh, and hey, make sure you look forward to our next episode, twenty seventeen. Look back, guys. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's definitely our look back in Death Pool, guys. We gotta get our oh, Death Pool. Oh god, in. I don't want to think about this. People, I keep, people might be dying I, right now, I and we missed out on that and opportunity. They keep not dying. Um. So yeah, so we already we already picked Betty White. We already picked Amanda Bynes. We already picked Stan Lee. Yeah, I can't pick all those guys again. So. Hey, Mar- Margot Kidder. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> Maybe. 